This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California and were created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to have a facility that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. They make sure that their detox is as comfortable as possible, which is like a huge win if you're kicking heroin or pills or alcohol or anything. You want a comfortable detox. They're not a 12-step-based place, which is awesome. Uh, they, they offer tons of uh, ideas that could help your brain get over your affliction. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, sound bath meditation, sweat lodge, yoga, equine therapy, surfing, and uh, it's not the amenities that makes Alice so special. And I can only say this because I know people that have been there. They really felt like the staff cared about them, that the program cared about their results. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to a place like sunny Southern California to get better, I highly recommend going to Aloe. Hey, guys. I want to talk to you guys about Sober Buddy since it's super available to you if you need some help with your sobriety. It's the little blue fluffy guy you may have seen in sober memes on Instagram or Facebook. You can either use their free service called Sober Buddy Mail, which is a daily email with bite-sized sober challenges plus motivation and tips that are super helpful, or you can download the Your Sober Buddy app, which is an interactive version that shifts your challenges and motivations based on how you respond to it. The app also has a sober tracker that's down to the second and daily check-ins from Buddy where he asks you how you're feeling and if you're sober and then gives you advice based on your mood. Right now, Sober Buddy has over 30,000 people using their service to get sober and I know there's a bunch of people in the Dopey Nation who use it and really love it. If you're interested, please check them out on YourSoberBuddy.com. You can see all of their services there. It's super nice to have these free and inexpensive resources out there for everyone now. It's been a long time coming. Again, that's YourSoberBuddy.com if you're interested. You can never have enough help when you need support. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. Somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common especially when it comes to alcohol because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, email info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it for that someone who cares. Let Soberlink help you to stay off the sauce. And finally, this episode of Dopey is brought to you guys, the Dopey Nation, through Patreon. I love Patreon, and I love everybody that signs up to it. It really helps us make the best Dopey show we can. It puts more Dopey into the universe. This month, there's just super cool stuff on Patreon. We had this amazing recovery coach on last week. We've had videos on. We've had music on. We had a panel on. 
just kick down a little bit of money and you will get extra dopey. Plus, it helps keep the show moving along. So you go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. I really appreciate it. And also, buy gear at dopeypodcast.com. We're teamed up with an amazing company out of Cincinnati, Ohio called SRO Prince. And they're junkies like me and some of you. And, uh, and we have a ton of shit. We have a bunch of shirts that are still on sale. We're getting rid of everything. And uh, check it out. It's at dopeypodcast.com. Now, if you want stickers, Venmo me money to Dopey Podcast. Uh, I don't know. Five or ten bucks will get you some stickers. If you want hats, Venmo me 30 bucks. I have the Dopey hat. I have the Dopey... I'm sorry. I have the Oyve hat. I have a few blue and red Dopey hats left, a ton of the classic black and whites, and we're about to get these trucker hats. So if you want to pre-order trucker hats, I do trucker hats for 25 bucks. That's Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. Anyway, enough with the fucking ads. Thank you for supporting the show. And here is the show. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I'm sitting here uh, via Zoom with a very sweet man. You're a very sweet man. I've spoken to you a couple times already, and you're just oozing with sweetness, and I appreciate that. His name is Skinny Vinny Imperati. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. It's, it's, it's an honor. I really appreciate it. Yeah. An honor. That's hey, come on, take it. Come no. on. <laughs> no, it it really is an honor because I right just a few minutes ago I was uh, on your guys's YouTube page and you're interviewing guests like Jamie Lee Curtis and and and. I mean, that's just, that's because I work, I work in a very famous restaurant and she was in my, the restaurant I work at and, uh, I like just went nuts and I tracked her down and, and then I (laughs) bothered her forever. You know what I mean? It was one of those. (laughs) Well, still, man, just to, just to be, uh, um, and this, this goes, I was on another podcast and they're interviewing people like, like Charlie Sheen and, and, uh, and other big people like that. So to, to, to have people to be, to be involved with the podcast that are interviewing people like that, people I looked up to people that are big in the entertainment industry. It's uh it's an honor for sure. Well, I appreciate well, that. And it's an honor to have you on dopey as well. Um, you. cause you, you have like, I guess people are going to watch this video. We, I just started adding video to the whole thing. So if you want to watch it, it'll be on YouTube. But if you're not watching it, you need to know Vinny is in this very stylish room. He's got a, his podcast is called moist cheeks and he's got a moist cheeks neon in the back, all these decks. He's got a nice light on him. Leopard skin, bucket hat, leopard skin sheath on the fucking mic stand. (laughs) You look like a very happy person. And, and it also needs to be said before we start that Vinny's yeah. story is fucked up. You know, you're a fucked up drug addict, Vinny. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to tell you. And, Super uh, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you're a fucked up drug addict. And like that yeah. was the whole point of the show. So the fact, and also, I guess the point is you just celebrated three years or you're about to. Yeah, no, just celebrated three years, February 10th. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank but you. the point is, here you are, fucked up drug addict in recovery, looking so happy. Yeah. You know, you know, such a vibe coming off of you. Yeah. 
I, that, that, that really means a lot when you say that, um, because that's really, that's something that I'm really trying to put out there. Um, and, and trying to make that my brand is, and and it's funny because like, like I said, when I was uh, listening to the Jamie Lee Curtis, just in the, just in the first few minutes, it said that, uh, I think it was you who mentioned that, uh, um, you could have fun in sobriety. You could, you could be happy. You know what I mean? And, and that's my biggest fucking thing is sobriety and recovery doesn't have to be boring. And that was a huge thing that, that scared me to be honest, to get sober because I, if I was going to be miserable, fucking sober, I'm just going to continue to get loaded. I'll just be miserable loaded because I love getting high so much. So to be able to be this, this content with the person who I am now and being able to, the biggest thing is being able to love myself, right? I, I can't, I can't put love into the world. I can't love anybody else without loving myself first, you know? So being content with the person who I am today and this happy, it's, it's really what I want people to know and understand that it's fucking possible. Totally. I, I think it's interesting because I, I heard, you know, I, I, it's like, did drugs make me happy? You know what I mean? Like, I know that I love drugs. I loved how drugs made me feel. And you and I use the same drugs. So like, we probably crave the same thing. And I know that, that I loved, um, not having to worry. Right. I loved feeling like everything was cool. Everything Mm -hmm. was okay. And I, and I love being, I loved even saying the word, I want to get fucked up, like as fucked up as possible. Like that was Mm -hmm. a, a part of it. And, and I don't remember being like, this makes me happy. You know what I mean? I think the happiness came from not worrying, you know what I mean? So it was like that, that the self-medicating to not have to be super anxious or neurotic in my, in my case, like that's just my go-to is anxious and neurotic. Um, what do you think the the core is for you? I want to hear your whole story, but this is an interesting conversation. I think. In, in the beginning, I, I started getting loaded, um, like everybody else, my, my mid teenagers smoking weed, drinking, drinking booze, you know? Um, and yeah, at first, at first the drugs did make me happy. The drugs and alcohol did make me happy. And, and I was just a, a regular normal teen, you know, I love the skateboard, love, love sports, you know, um, skateboarding plays a major role in my whole life. And, um, and, but once it got to, I, I just love the feeling of being intoxicated, no matter what drug it is. People ask me all the time, what was your drug of choice? Whatever fucking got me high. I don't care what it was. My main drug was heroin and crack. But I, it, like, if you had fucking crystal meth, I would shoot crystal meth. If you had PCP, Thank I would do, I would do PCP. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter what it was. I just loved being high. You know, I just loved the feeling of being high. And once the, once the opiates came into the picture, that's when really shit hit the fan. And still to this day, after after working a program and doing the steps, I, I still it's very hard to me to, uh, for me to like really pick the core and see what were the main reasons. Maybe it was family orientated. Maybe it was, I was resentful at the world. Maybe it was, I was playing the victim card. Oh, why me, my father, why did my father have to die at such a young age? You know what I mean? We grew up poor. Why me? Why me? Maybe that played a major role in it. But at the end of the day, it's like, 
my mom did her best to raise me. She worked a full-time job. She worked at Yale University. Um, she spoiled me. And I, I, had, I had friends. Uh, I played sports. You know, it, I had a normal childhood. But when the opiates came into the picture, it just like, it switched my, my way of thinking. It, it switched my perception of life. And it, it turned me into a person that I, like, when I think back at it now, it's like, I, I can't even believe that I did the things that I did back in those years. And it, it just, it turned me into a monster and it turned me into somebody who just had no care for anybody, no care for anything, no care for myself. And, um, started doing things that fuck man, that I'm ashamed of, you know? And, um, and, and, and it got to a point where I accepted that it was going to be, that's going to be me for the rest of my life. Right. I was home. Right, I was right. homeless living in a fucking porta potty shooting dope with rainwater. Don't and give I, it I, all I, away, Vinny. We, we, let's just get to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, go, yeah. don't give it all away. It's like, yeah. dude, I, I want, I mean, like you, you had a tough childhood. Obviously your dad died mm-hmm. when you were, how old were you when your dad died? I was two. Oh my God. So you never knew yeah. your dad. Never, never knew my father. Um, he got, he got hit by, he was a biker. He got hit by a drunk driver while he was on his bike. Terrible. Terrible. And you grew up uh, in the Northeast. You grew up in Connecticut, yep. Yep. Um, which is, you know, where I actually, that's where me and Chris met in Canaan, Connecticut. Okay. At, the, at this rehab called Mountainside. Um, but I want to know, um, because it's a long leap, you know, from, from stonerdom, uh, you know, being a kid to being a fucking homeless heroin addict in a porta potty shooting rainwater, right? It's a yeah. big leap. But I, I know a little bit about you, and your mother was a drug addict, right? Yeah, yeah. My mom was a drug addict. She was a heroin addict as well. Um, and she, I, I could remember being really young and not really knowing exactly what it was, but I, I would, I would sneak in her room and find needles and find dope bags. And, but again, I really didn't know what that shit was, but as I got older, I started to understand and, and realize. And, um, I remember this moment, like it was fucking yesterday. She, she picked me up from a baseball game. We're driving home and she starts nodding out at the wheel and I just started crying. And I said, listen, you, you lost, we lost our, my father. My sister's not in the picture anymore. You're going to lose me if you don't stop doing that shit. And from that night, she, uh, the next day she got on the methadone program and never put another needle in her arm, but she's still on the methadone program. And I'm sure that fucked her up to hear that from her 10 year old. Right. Totally. Yeah. And, um, she, she's still on the methadone program and she, it's, it's like, past the point of no return she's been on the methadone program for not necessarily not necessarily listen i mean i i was on methadone seven years or something uh not that seven years is 25 years i'm just saying you never know what the point of no return is you know she could fucking she could kick a milligram a month for years that's that's very true did you hear this story about um i want to say his name is johnny winter it's an amazing story did you hear the johnny winter story I don't think so. All right. I'm gonna, I told it on this show before, but you need to hear it. So I'm going to tell yeah, you yeah. this story. I think it was Edgar Winter. Either it was Edgar Winter or Johnny Winter. They're albino guitar players, like big time rock and roll heroes. Okay. Uh-huh. And I want, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Edgar Winter. Anyway, he was on methadone for 25 years or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was touring, touring the world. 
big time guitar player, heroin addict, obviously. And he, his family were his tour managers and they got really tired of dealing with him nodding out. And they even got tired of him being on methadone, but they knew that he was too scared to come off the methadone. So the guy started weaning him with him not knowing for years. Right. Mm -hmm. And they got to a point where they started giving him an empty gel cap of the methadone. And then for his birthday, they gave him a box and in the box in the box in the box in the box in the box, there was a pill. And he's like, what the fuck are you giving me this methadone? Uh, as my birthday gift in all the boxes. And they're like, no, open up the gel cap. And they open it up. And he goes, you've been clean for a year. He had wow. been off the methadone for a year and he didn't even know it. Wow. That's how you know that your mother might not be at the point of no return. This dude's a serious junkie. I'll send you the yeah. link. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know what Please I'm saying? do. Like, might be, wow. It might be a whole thing. So it's, yeah. it's crazy. That, now, that, that is crazy. Up, was your house like Sons of Anarchy? Your mother no. was like, the, no. <laughs> No, no. My my mom, she um she was a what they call a, a functioning drug addict. She was still able to um to hold a full time job and, and the job that she worked was a was a very um demanding physical job. She was the um the head groundskeeper for Yale University for the athletic department. That does sound like quite a demanding job, Vinny, but I need to interrupt you and talk to the dopey nation about betterhelp.com. Betterhelp.com is an amazing service. It matches people like you, me, your mother, whoever, with incredibly talented counselors and therapists, each with different areas of expertise. All the counselors are licensed, trained, and accredited, and super experienced. They will help you feel better about whatever you're going through, because talking about stuff always makes you feel better. They have over 10,000 counselors, each with years of experience. Everything you say to them is confidential. You can schedule live sessions with your counselor or you use the secure messenger. And best of all, for Dopey listeners, we give you 10% off if you mention Dopey. So it's www.betterhelp.com slash Dopey. Again, that's www.betterhelp.com slash Dopey. Let BetterHelp help you to feel better talking always does it and talking to someone who knows what they're doing makes it even better. Now Vinny, what did your mother oversee again? She she oversaw the the Yale football field, the all, all the all the sports fields, you know, um landscaping. And um she she still she's still doing that to this day. And um she's been there for over 30 years now. She's uh, um she just got some major knee surgery and she's trying to retire in the next couple months. Um but yeah, she, she was always able to keep a job. She was always able to keep food on the table. Um, most of my life we were living paycheck to paycheck, but she did her best to, um, to really, um, to really make sure that I was okay. And that I, that I always went to school and, um, yeah, I, I, I give her credit because I wouldn't, the, the way that I did drugs, I, I let that over, overtake everything. I couldn't hold a job. I didn't give a fuck about my family. Right. I could never have been, I was never a functioning drug addict, you know? So yeah. like just that phrase is, uh, it's weird. You know what I mean? It's a weird yeah. phrase it's because if you're not, it's so hard to imagine what that is. You know what yeah. I mean? And your mom obviously yeah. pulled it off. When did you, uh, when did you figure out that you, you might love getting high a little too much? Um, so I, 
it was maybe my my late teens where I I, I really loved smoking weed. The, and Me too. It wasn't, it, it it wasn't just the the high. It wasn't just the smoking. It it was the whole the the whole culture of smoking weed, you know. And totally. Um, and, and this and this was a time where like I just graduated high school. Uh, I, I was thinking about taking a year off uh, before I went to college, and we were going around Connecticut, going to all the all the colleges for all their parties, you know. And and then I, I started to be the one that was supplying these parties with fucking huge bags of weed, and um, I just loved the feeling of people needing me to supply these parties. So eventually I went from selling weed to selling Molly to selling ecstasy, um, to eventually selling nitrous, you know, and I, I just loved that feeling of just being, how needed. much, how much, how much nitrous did you sell? Um, so it got to a point where I had a, uh, a, a little, I want to say it was a 20, 25 pound tank. And, uh, we had this, we had this, uh, um, this crooked dentist from Boston that, yes. would, re- that would refill our tank and yes. I would, and I would just go around, um, colleges and I would sell balloons for $5, ice cold fatties, medical yes. grade yes. for $5, you know, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and then it got to the point where we're like, we're following festivals. We're following fish around. We're following, uh, Phil Lesh around and we're posting up in these parking lots and I'm just walking, walking through the, the parking lots with, balloons in each one of my fingers and screaming ice cold fatties get your ice cold fatties you know and and Uh, yeah yeah. (laughs) and and that that that. uh, oh dude i loved it i and but there was a there was a summer where i was just doing so much nitrous that it's it couldn't have been good for me you know like i was i was doing a lot of fucking nitrous so were you part of the nitrous mafia? The yeah. nitrous mafia? No, no. I, I've heard of them. Um, I, I, I even, I was even at, at a, I want to say it was a Dave Matthews show in Hartford, Connecticut, where somebody got killed in the parking lot because they were selling nitrous on the wrong side of the parking lot. And the body got dumped in the woods. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking, I didn't, at that point, I didn't even know the nitrous mafia was a thing. And then I'm just like going around the parking lot, screaming ice cold fatties. So like, and I had no idea that this was a thing. And then like a couple days later, I I see this on the news and I'm like, what the fuck? The nitrous mafia. And I'm finding out they're like, yeah. and, and, And then I'm finding out that the way that they're getting all their tanks in is like a days before the festival, they would scuba dive because the festival was on the, was on the on the coast so they would scuba dive their tanks from boats and then at night go up on the beach and and uh, and bury their tanks <laughs> yeah scuba dive they would scuba dive with i mean this is me having fun for a second but would yeah, they yeah, scuba yeah. dive with an oxygen tank and a nitrous tank on yeah. their back so they could <laughs> camouflage the nitrous yeah yeah i love that that's amazing yep. i love nitrous i still yeah. love nitrous um, I like, like I had a guy offer to do, I have to fucking go to the dentist. My teeth are all fucked up. And I yeah. had a dopey listener. It was like, my dad's a dentist. He'll do whatever. And I call him up and he like, he's in some like kind of hoodie spot or something. And I was like, well, will you give me nitrous? And he's like, I'm not sure if I will. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just pay to go to the dentist because I don't want to go without the <laughs> yeah. nitrous. You know, do you, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're three years sober. Have you been to the dentist? Um, I haven't, <laughs> not yet. It's, uh, that's something that I've been procrastinating about, 
uh, um, I'm not I'm not afraid of a lot of a lot of things on this earth, but the dentist is one of them. And uh, I've just wow. I've been procrastinating. I, I need to. That's so funny. I'm going to go to the dentist and be like, can I get an ice cold fatty before we start? <laughs> <laughs> please yeah that's gonna be the thing um so like and, and when you were selling bud were you selling good bud like what were the like, yeah. were the, like so where would you get good bud from and, and were you selling so good I'm, acid and good ecstasy were you like in yeah. like, front of good drugs oh yeah so um the acid we i just r- randomly and this was back when they had uh um cd stores and record stores and they i, I just randomly bumped into this girl who like looked she looked like a like a hippie you know and then we just started talking and she's like yeah i i have a, a really good lsd connect and uh like oh dope like well, what's up and then we start we, we we made this uh um really good relationship with this crew from uh manhattan and they were calling it the family fluff and they were giving us fucking they were giving us sheets for pennies on the dollar yeah, and it was and it was some of the best LSD I've ever fucking had in my life. You know, it was very clean. It was very it, it, like you, you only needed one tab. You know, like nowadays I'm hearing kids tell stories like, "Oh, I took six tabs of LSD." I'm like, "What? That must have been garbage." You know, <laughs> that's like, so funny. So, <laughs> I, so, like, was it just white blotter? Yeah, just white blotter. Yep. From yep. Manhattan, the family fluff. When we were in when we were in treatment, I had. Roommate in treatment, and he's like dream dopey guest to me. And I never, he like disappeared. I never heard from him again. He was this guy. He didn't look like a hippie, but he was a hippie, right? His name was Don, and um, he was involved with. He would always call it Grateful Dead family acid. Like he was involved Uh with some. And I, I, you know, I'm great Grateful Dead fan. I love the Grateful Dead. Um, But uh, I never was so in the scene that I knew anybody that made acid and whatever. I had a, like I had Bill Kreutzmann's son on Dopey and I had the dead's old manager, Sam Cutler on Dopey. Wow, but like I was, awesome. I, it wasn't that good of a guest, but it wasn't as good as I, as I had hoped it would be. Um, yeah. Actually, Chris was still alive when, when I made the episode and he was like, dude, this is terrible. He was, yeah. he was upset that I had done it. But anyway, the point is like, where did wait? Do you what, what's the backstory behind the acid you would get? The family fluff. It was so I used to party with my mom a lot. Like I would smoke weed with her. I would take LSD with her. I would take ecstasy with her. My, like my mom is my best friend, you know. And still, and I, and I it's still to, to, to this day, still even though she drives me fucking nuts, um, she's still my best friend. I could talk to her about anything, and and, and I think the reason. And I've done a lot of thinking about this, and, and I think the reason why she was like spoiling me and partying with me and wanted to be the cool mom, and she she was more of a friend than a parent, you know. And letting me and all the, me and all the bros come party at our house, you know, my house was the hangout spot. And I, I think the reason that was was because I think she felt bad about my father passing, my sister running away, and I, th- I think she just felt bad. You know, and she just wanted to make up for that. I, I maybe, maybe she felt responsible some way. I, I don't know, but so I, I would party with my mom a lot, and that's how she she was the one to introduce me to LSD, and um, and it just it, it came to a point where, and she was she was the first one that, that um, 
we're talking. Tell me about your your uh, you and your mom. Like you were talking about it, and I was just going to ask. Like, do you think it's because she was scared? She wanted to pull out all the stops because you know she didn't want to lose you. Yeah, th- that's what I think it is. And she she was the one that really taught me how to sell drugs too, um, because it, it started off with me, just me and my mom smoking a lot, and and I was fucking fourteen or fifteen at the time, and I had no money. So she was she was the one that would be buying a half ounce or an ounce of weed a week or two, every two weeks, and we would smoke it. And it got to the point where she was just spending too much money. So what she did was uh, she bought me an ounce, she bought me a scale, and she bought me those little those little bags with the apples on it. And she and she was like, okay, if if you want to keep smoking weed, what you need to do is you need to bag this ounce up into grams. You need to sell them to your friends. You'll make money and you'll be able to smoke for free. So that was really the first taste of selling drugs that I got. And I, I I fucking fell in love with it. You know, I I loved the fact that I can get high for free. I love the fact that I'm making money and, and feeling wanted by all these people in town, you know? And at that point I was living in old Saber, Connecticut. It's a very, um, small, rich, white neighborhood, and um, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. The cops hated me, and when I uh, when I turned eighteen, I got this huge settlement from my father passing. When um, from uh, we, it was a lawsuit, and it was it was my lawyers had control of it until I turned eighteen. So when I was eighteen, I got a few hundred thousand dollars, and when that happened. I just fucking went, I went crazy. Wow. A few hundred thousand dollars. So like, walk me through that. Like you get a few hundred, does it come in a check? How many hundreds of thousands? $300,000? It was a little over two. And, um, it, it it was a check the day I turned 18, I had to go to, to my lawyer's office. Oh my God. They they give me a check for $200,000, but my mom was like, and I was planning on just going right to the bank, but my mom's like, no, you have to go to school. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I take the check with me to school and I'm just like bragging. I'm just like, look at this, look at this, look what I just got, you know, just being an asshole. And then I, I get out of school, go right to the bank. And first thing I do is like, all right, I want to cash this. And the, the, the bank teller, she, she's like looking at me, looking at the check, looking at me, looking at the check. And I'm like, yep, I want that in cash. That's me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and she, she's just like, we can't just take out and give you this much money in cash. We don't even have this much in the bank. I'm like, okay, well, how, how much is it, How long is it going to take? She, uh, she's like, all right, a few days. So they call me back when they have it. They have two security guards waiting there for me. They give me all of it in cash in like a canvas looked like a pillowcase. And they're like, do you want the security guards to follow you home? I'm like, nope, I'm good. And so I drove home. I laid it all. I poured all of it out in my bed and I just laid in it for like two you hours. Did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you get high before you laid in the money? No, no, I didn't. No. And, uh, and (laughs) the money got you high. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. How disappointing is it though that the bank doesn't have $200,000? It's like, we dream there's like a safe and bags of money and gold someplace and, and they don't have money to cash your fucking settlement check. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that the worst? Yeah. That that was really surprising. And, um, but it, it, like giving a kid that much money, like after growing up poor 18 years, the first 18 years of his life, you know, um, 
I'm not blaming it on anybody, but <laughs> like it's it's not really a good move <laughs> given giving an 18 year old that That's much fucking terrible. money. Well, what do you, what's the worst move? Giving a kid two hundred thousand dollars on his 18th birthday, or giving a kid a hundred dime bags with apples on it and say, if you want to smoke <laughs> weed, this is how you do it. Which yeah. which is worse? <laughs> tell me. You know, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you know, or or yeah. how about I mean, like we skipped over the biggest question of all: what's tripping with your mother like? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, come on. Yeah, it's um. It was it was fun. It was weird. Um, there were there would be some times where she was like, like tripping really fucking hard. She would have this picture of my father on top of the TV. Oh God! Yeah, and I like I like we would both eat it. We'd hang out for a little bit, and then I'd go hang out with the, with the bros, and I'd come back a couple hours later, and she would just be on her knees with the TV off, just staring at the, my 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 father's picture, and I'm just like, Mom, what the fuck are you doing? She goes, oh, your father's talking to me. She's like, what, dude? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I, I got to go. Like, I love you, but I got to go. <laughs> I would avoid my mother like the plague on acid. I remember I'd come home from something <laughs> and I'd be tripping and like I'd be too loud and she'd be screaming and I'd be just, you know, the worst. But yeah. like that's got to be super heavy, but it's also very beautiful. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the fact yeah. that you were willing to do it, you know, I can make fun of it, but the fact that yeah. you were willing to do it says how close you guys were. Yeah. Yeah. It, me and my mom were super close, you know, I, even like when, when I first, the very first time I smoked weed, I felt like I was, I, I felt like I had to tell her, you know, I, I felt like, Oh, oh my God, I, I smoked weed. My mom's going to be mad, you know? And so, but, but I told her and she was like, Hey, smoke all the weed you want. Just don't put anything up your nose or in your arm. It's like, all right, cool. You know? And then I, I kind of, I kind of ran with that. And, um, when you got the 200 grand, mm-hmm. had you been dealing for a while at that point? Were you used yep. to a bunch of money? Like yep. you were, I mean, like what was, how much, what was the most money you had seen prior to the 200 grand? Prior to the 200 grand? Maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 grand. Right. Which is still a lot of money to be a kid yeah. selling drugs. Like I used yeah. to sell drugs. I never saw any fucking money. I would just yeah. do the drugs. I would fuck it up. You know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. terrible at it. Um, yeah. but, uh, so when you get the 200 grand, what do you do with it? Uh, the first thing I do is I go buy a, uh, a Chrysler 300 right off the lot <laughs> <laughs> and I put Lamborghini doors on it. Okay. I bought 22 inch rims. Okay. Um, I, TVs all inside of it. My, my sound, wow. my sound, I spent 10 grand on my sound system and I was an asshole. You know, I, I, my, like I said, my town hated me. I would, I would, I would drive down main street, this really small street. I, I would drive down there with my doors up, blasting rap music, you know, just really flaunting being an asshole, you know? Well, and, yeah, uh, you were, you were living the life, you know, it's like a yeah, video for, for real. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, and then I go to my weed dealer and I'm like, all right, I want a couple pounds, you know? And then I, I, I buy that and I, I buy a bunch of uh, ecstasy and I buy, I, I buy all the toys that I wanted. I had quads, you know, uh, jet skis. And- okay. So you just buy everything. Yeah. Do you, do, are you like, I'm done selling drugs or do you buy drugs too? Oh no. I, oh no. I buy, I buy more drugs. You know, it, it, it got to the point where. 
you know, like I start, okay, I, I'm smoking and then I start drinking, I'm partying at colleges and then like the ecstasy comes in and then LSD comes in and Molly comes in and then all of a sudden you're mixing fucking, you're candy flipping and then you're mixing all three and then you're doing all three while you're drinking and smoking and then you're doing all that while you're driving and, and traveling the fucking country and, and doing all that and, and I, I had only planned to take one year off before I went to college and um, before I went to college I got my wisdom teeth taken out and that's how opiates came into the picture right. I, was, I was very very against opiates because I saw what it did to my mom I, 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 it, I, I started to see what it was doing to a few of my friends I have, a, I have an uncle that's a heroin addict I saw what it did to him so I your was mother's very, brother, your mother's brother your no my, your my father's brother yep and, okay. and so I was so against it and um, when I got my wisdom teeth taken out, they, the, the dentist only gave me, I, I want to say they were like Vicodin fives or something. And it wasn't doing anything for the pain. I was literally in my bed crying from the pain. And I had a, a friend over at that, that night and he, he was selling Perk 30s at the time. And he was like, he's like, here, man, I won't even charge you. Just eat it. You know? So I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm in so much pain. Fuck it. So I ate, I ate one Perk 30, it knocked me out, put me to sleep. I woke up feeling fucking amazing and I was like, holy shit, I like that. Let me get a couple more. And I, I was able to really, I, it was like a schedule. It was every Thursday night when um, the, the show uh, Robin Big was on. Remember that show? Yes. Robin Big yeah. and then the Fantasy Factory. It was, a new episode was on every Thursday. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat myself every Thursday when that show comes on. So I was doing it like that, and then eventually it became every Thursday and Friday, and then every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then eventually every fucking day. And then oxys came into the picture, and then uh, I learned, and at this point I'm only snorting them. And then I learned from an MTV show, True Life, I'm an Addict, yeah. that, you could, that you could smoke them. So that's how I started smoking them. And then that, How did you I, smoke them? You, you just put a pill on a, on a, on a piece of tinfoil. And you just chase right, the, chase right. the dragon. Okay. Yeah. You didn't have any kind of technique to smoking pills. Oh, pills no, 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 no. What I wanted to ask you is when you're selling all the drugs on huh. fish tour, dead tour, were you on fish tour? Um, yep. Fish tour. Um, and then we were following Phil Lesh, uh, Phil Lesh and friends for a little bit. Did um, you like that music? I did. Um, that's the kind of music that I grew up on. Um, my mom would always, um, play either um, she had she had all her all of her records in her record player and she, and she would play either Pink Floyd Led Zeppelin. So you're set up in Texas with your studio. Yep, I'm in Texas right now. I just moved here from uh, I was living in Los Angeles for uh, four years and and I was living in a sober living those whole four years and um, or three years in the sober living and um, when I quit my job I, I, I worked in the same sober living that uh, I was living in. And when I quit and I was comfortable financially, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to travel the country. I packed everything in my fucking Lexus, drove around the country for seven weeks and decided what my next move was. And I was like, fuck it. I want to continue entertaining people. And um, my team and I have a little, a small following, you know, but so I I decided I'm going to buy a ranch and just continue filming and nobody will fuck with us you know 
Dude, no. you're jumping way ahead, way ahead of the story. It's my own fault. <laughs> but like, did you buy the ranch with with money that you had inherited? Where do you have the money for the oh, fucking no, ranch? No, 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 How you no, make no, so no. much money? What are you doing, Vinny? What's going um, so, on with you? <laughs> so when I working in um, in treatment while living there, I didn't have to pay rent for three years. So I was able to the money that I was making, I was able to really pocket and save, which yeah, I was never good at. You know, dude. But let's not skip the. the I don't want to ruin your yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't yeah. want to ruin your story. Your yeah. mother was a hippie motorcycle chick. You yep. got raised in the hippie spirit. You're yep. on tour. The question is, you know, like if you're on tour with Fish and and Phil and friends and all that stuff, it's yeah. like there are pills in the lot. There is a little oh, yeah. bit of dope, but there is a lot of pills. Like, but it didn't, it didn't show up for you. Why? Like you yeah. avoided it because of your mom. Was that like a choice? Like yeah. Um, it, it was, I, I guess it was a choice. And, and like my, my main circle of friends, we, we were strictly weed and hallucinogens, you know, and, and nitrous, you know? Um, Curious. yeah. And, and it was just because it was fun, you know, just like we grew up on a beach town and we would just eat a bunch of acid and mushrooms and go fucking walk on the beach, you know? And, and, um, so it was just a lot of fun. And, um, and then as the, the years went by, like all of our other friends were getting into the perks and oxys. So we kind of separated ourselves from them and did our own thing. But then it's very, very slow. The opiates didn't come into the picture for us until I, I was 21. And, um, and then it just was, it just went fucking batshit crazy, dude. Like the quickest progression of gnarliness and well, in the up. first place, if your mother's like, don't, I don't want to see you shooting anything and I don't yeah. want to see you snorting anything. Is that yeah. why you were like, okay, I can smoke Oxycontin? Yeah. No, that, uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I was, at, at, when I started smoking them, I would, I had already been doing them, snorting them for, I don't know, maybe a few months. And I, I just love getting high so much. I'm always looking for that next best high, you know, and, and smoking mm-hmm. them, smoking them. You get, you, you get the way personally, I feel like you get higher, but the high doesn't last as long. If that makes any sense. Of course. I mean, I, I mean, when I smoked heroin, it was like, why am I doing this? You know, it's yeah. like, it just yeah. doesn't hit. It doesn't, doesn't maintain. It doesn't hit. And I lost so much smoke. Um, I, I came up, like a huge fan of rock and roll and a huge fan of like out, outlaw culture and, and beatnik mm-hmm. culture and artist culture and all that stuff. And yeah. I knew that heroin was out there, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I, I never wanted to do heroin, you know what I mean? It was not yeah. on my agenda, but I was at art school and I tried it and I still was like, I'm a stoner. I don't want to mess with that shit. And then yeah. th- the, the next time I did it, it just hit me right where it, you know, in that spot, like it hit me in a spot where it worked too well. Like, did it hit you there right away? It was right away. As as soon as, are you talking about opiates in general or heroin? Well, we'll we'll deal with, I mean, I think it's all the same, right? It it is. It is all the same. I didn't start with pills. I started with heroin. So I didn't have to build, build up to it. Like I wound up having to do pills later if I couldn't get dope, but it was mostly, like my, my addiction was mostly all heroin, you know, and yeah. then benzos. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. I didn't have the build. So I would imagine 
that if you're doing perk 30s before you're doing heroin you get kind of a similar good feeling right yeah yeah and it was it was fucking instant man it was the the first time i put i i swallowed a perk 30 i felt this sense of um it was the sense of warmth and, and somebody i forget who it was but somebody said it in a way that made so much fucking sense it, he said it was like it was like having the warmest blanket on during the coldest night mm. and when he said that i was like holy fuck that's so true because i i felt this sense of warmth and this sense of security and this sense of holy fuck i finally found what i have been looking for my whole life you know and i was like this is I, i'm gonna be doing this my whole life i was like that instant i was like oh i found what i'm gonna be doing for the rest of my life and i and i ran with it and and with me selling drugs for so long, I, that was my next thing. And especially in New England, like you get all the you get all the drugs from the city and bring it to the outer states, you the profit margin is insane. So I I, I found a connect in Staten Island for Percocets, and I, I would get them for fucking fifteen dollars a piece, sometimes twelve, and I would go to Connecticut and sell them for thirty. You know, so I'm doubling my money, and I'm doing as many as I want for fucking free, you know? And, and it began, it be, became this fucking every two or three days, I'm going to Staten Island, picking up a couple hundred of them and bringing them back to Connecticut. And it, it just got, it, it got really bad. My house got raided a few times and it, uh, and, and then like all of a sudden I'm becoming my best customer and I'm not making any money. I'm just making enough to re up you know, and then now I'm fucking not making enough to re up and I'm selling all the toys that I, I have purchased with that money that I got. And I'm selling, I, I had all this jewelry. I'm selling my jewelry one piece at a time. I'm selling my jet skis. I'm selling my quads. I'm selling my, I had fucking a hundred pairs of Jordans. I was selling, you know, like one by one, I'm selling everything that I owned. And the very, <laughs> to, to skip forward just a little bit, the last thing that I had from that money that I got when I was 18 was I, I also purchased a 2008 Dodge Magnum with the Hemi and I purchased it for, I bought it off the lot for like 42,000 and I sold it to my drug dealer for two ounces of crack, a hundred perk thirties and $1,500 cash. And that was the Not last thing that I Oh no, no. And, and my, and my sick fucking twisted thinking was, okay, I'm going to smoke a little bit of the crack, sell the rest, do a few of the thirties, sell the rest. And then with that $1,500 and the money that I make off of selling, I'll buy another car. Right. You know? But I was locked in a hotel room in Brantford, Connecticut, and I smoked all the crack, did all the thirties. And then I spent the $1,500 that he gave me. So now I have nothing. I'm living in a hotel, you know, it's, um, looking back at it now, like I, I don't regret anything and I don't like, yeah, I wish I could have done, I did things differently, but dude, you're sitting in a beautiful room with a neon sign that says moist cheeks with a leopard skin <laughs> bucket hat. What do you have to regret anything for? It's know, working out, you yeah. know, like you don't have yeah. to, you know, yeah. thank God you survived. You know what I mean? Yeah. What was the first time you did, um, you did heroin. Like, how did that pop in? Um, the first time I did heroin, 
So my, my best friend who is now not with us anymore, he passed away from an overdose, um, a few years ago, he lived in Burlington, Vermont, and he knew that I was struggling and he offered uh, at the time I was homeless couch surfing and he offered me to come live on his couch for a while so he could help detox me and get me clean. So I, I took that offer and I go to Vermont and I'm sleeping on his couch. I'm going through the fucking withdrawals for a few days. And, but I not knowing this dude is fucking doing heroin in the bathroom, you know? Oh my and God. I, yeah. And, and I, and I, and I see him going in the bathroom all these fucking times and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And I realize what he's doing and I'm just like, dude, give me some now. And that's how heroin is. Hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. He, you're struggling with drugs. You're struggling with yeah. opiates. Yeah. He says, come up to my house in Burlington and you can kick here. Yeah. Okay, that's what he says. Meanwhile, yeah. he's a heroin addict with a, with a, with a habit. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, I've never, I've never heard, I've been doing this show for fucking almost six years. I'm a heroin addict. I've never heard a story like this in my life. Yeah. And you didn't know, had you been using perk thirties and oxys with him? No. Nope. You grew up nope. with him? John. I grew up. John. So I, yeah, my friend John. Yep. And it was me, John, and Tom. Tom's my now manager. And I think Tom he, wrote Dopey months ago about you. And uh-huh. I didn't know anything. And I was like, hey, who cares? Skinny Vinny, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like I don't know. Um, but uh, it was great. Anyway, so, uh, so what? The, how could this have happened? Like this story, like how does that happen? Yeah. So, so me, Tom and John, we were the ones that was the, it was us that were, uh, when I was talking about the hallucinogens and smoking and all that stuff. And when I started getting into the Percocets and the opiates, they kind of faded away for me. They were, they were my best friends, my family, like they were more family to me than my actual family. But when I started getting into the dark shit, they started fading away very slowly and then Tom went to school up in Massachusetts. John moved to uh, Vermont, and I was still in Connecticut, just running the streets, you know. And so we didn't really talk, we didn't really stay in contact that much. And then when when John found out that I was really struggling, and this was after I tried going to college down in Florida, um, I, I only lasted a few months, you know. And then I tried going to school in Connecticut to be a truck driver. That only lasted a couple months, you know. And um, he, he reached out and he's like, Hey man, I heard you're, you don't have a, a place to stay and you're struggling. And he offered me to come sleep on his couch, but he didn't know that you had this habit and that you'd be kicking. No, no, no he knew he definitely knew. So crazy. So yeah. it's like, you're, so it's like, all right, dude, here, here's some soup. Here's, here's some cigarettes. Hang out. I'm just going to go to the bathroom now. It's like, all right, man. All right, dude, here's it. I hope you're doing okay. I'm just going to go to the bathroom. How many yeah. times did he, did he use before? Was he shooting or snorting? He, uh, he, he was snorting at this, t- at this time. And so at, how long did it take for you to catch on? Maybe a week. Oh my God. You're kicking yeah. in his house for a week. What yeah. is he doing to keep the, the habit flowing? Uh, he so, this was around the time silk road was a big thing and bitcoin were, was yes. and bitcoin was only fucking 80 dollars a coin you uh-huh. know so he 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 was a computer genius anything technical okay. he was a fucking genius he was uh, he was a chemist like he was just so fucking smart and he he made he had this hustle with bitcoin back in the day and he was that's where he was making all of his money and that's where he, and in vermont it's hard to get drugs like that 
So he was ordering everything off Silk Road. And he would just have the dope come right to the fucking front door. It was insane. And yeah, it was, it was, it was insane. And because, and this is going to lead into another uh, crazy fucking story is like, we were, when I, when I found out he was doing dope and I was like, all right, give me some. Then I, I'm living with him up there for months and we're buying all this top notch, top grade fucking heroin off Silk Road. It's probably to this day, some of the best shit that I've ever had. And literally gets delivered right to our front doorstep because in Vermont, how it works is the farther north you go, closest to the Canadian border, the more expensive drugs get. A bundle of heroin in New York City, 25 bucks, you know, at, the, at this point in time, 25 bucks. Burlington, Vermont. Only if you buy a shitload of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Burlington, Vermont, you're paying $200 a bundle. For the $25 bundle. For, for, bundle. for a $25. That, that you're buying like a shitload of bundles. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, would, I would never go to the city and just buy a fucking couple bundles. You know, when I go to the city, I go to fucking make sure I'm good for a while. So how many you know? bundles would you buy? Every time I would go to the city before I was involved in a major fucking thing, um, I don't know, maybe 30, you know, maybe somewhere from 20 to 30. Um, that's, where you, that's, where you save, that's where you save in the bulk. I have, I have so many questions, yeah. Vinny. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's right. like, yeah, no, it's you, okay. you never saw, you ever saw, um, I'm sure you've seen Pulp Fiction, right? Of course. Right? In that scene where he's like, this is the Mexican shit and whatever. Yeah. And then there's like, and yeah, this yeah, is yeah. The, the choco or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, yeah. okay. I use drugs in Manhattan. You know what I mean? Like I use drugs in this room. I use drugs where I live down the street and I would uh-huh. go to Brooklyn or I'd have a dealer come or I'd go to the Lower East Side or whatever. And the yeah. good drugs was called, you know, dead on arrival or monster power or yeah. bush or whatever. Yeah. But it uh-huh. wasn't like, the Choco from Central America, you know? So yeah. when you're buying this high-grade heroin on Silk Road, is it like the bullshit stamps or is it like the fucking oh, no, fiction there's, shit? No, there's, there's no stamps. When you're, when you're buying it off Silk Road, you get it in a, in a bag, all in just one bag. It's not bagged like up. Eric fucking, yeah, like Eric Stoltz. Yeah, exactly. What do they call it? There's no name. They, they have no name okay. for it. Yeah. And, and, it, and it was like we were buying off Silk Road. We were buying heroin. We were buying uh, um, vials of liquid LSD. We were buying, benz- ah. we were buying benzo powder. Like strictly. Benzo we were, we, powder. Yeah. We, we were strictly. We were making our own Xanax. You know, and like, and we don't know how much, like how much powder is a fucking milligram. So we were just like doing this and we we're blacked out for, for fucking weeks at a time. You're pressing because your own pills or you're not, not pressing. We put it in, in, yeah, in little caps. Yeah. Amazing. This is dude. And I never got to do liquid LSD either. You've done everything that I didn't get to do. I, I used, it got to a point where I was shooting up liquid LSD. Oh, did you put it in your eyes? I, I never did that. No, you never put it. In, no. Okay. But you would shoot no. it. So tell us yeah. a story, you know, and, and, you know, feel free just to tell stories. Cause I, yeah. This yeah, is yeah, the yeah. greatest thing I've ever heard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny it's like why why should i enjoy this so much you know what i mean like yeah. i'm yeah. i'm coming up on six years in recovery thank god congratulations uh, yeah i appreciate it but it's like why like this is making my day you know what i mean like, yeah. You know what I mean? yeah yeah and, and now to tell you this Vinny, i'm gonna say this and i don't mean to be up your butt but yeah. like we need we needed you the dopey nation needed you to come this is like one of those things where there are no coincidences 
we needed you and you've arrived. Now tell yeah. us about <laughs> shooting liquid LSD, please. I, I, I love shooting shit in my arm. I love, I love the whole, the, the whole ritual of it, the whole process, the, the feeling of the needle going in, seeing the blood go back up the needle before you push down. I love it. Yes. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. whatever the fuck you could put in a needle, I'm doing it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got to the point where like we would just order fucking liquid LSD and, and it just dawned on me. I was like, huh, I'm going to try shooting it. Instant. I'm talking before the needle goes all the way down or the plunger goes all the way down. I'm out of this full on full on. And there was one, there was one instance where I was, I was so fucked up where it was, it was almost uncomfortable. And I was on the couch and this girl was sitting next to me and I was like, I was sweating. I was like having, almost having a bad trip. She notices that I'm like really going through it. And all of a sudden she just gets on top of me and starts making out with me. And it, calmed me down i was like i was like holy shit that's cool let's keep doing this and that girl ended up being my fiance or my ex-fiance like a year later <laughs> was she you know, a stranger she, was she a stranger when she did not that? A, not a stranger like we had been partying um a, a little bit together for like a couple weeks you know and uh and she's also she she became my running partner and like we would do heroin together and you know, but that's a that's a serious love moment when you oh, shot up I, liquid LSD <laughs> and you're and, and you're a junkie and this girl gets on top of you and start making yeah. out. You're gonna fall. Yeah. There's no way not to fall. Exactly. And and the first and this is this is funny. It's also kind of disgusting. But the first time that we had sex, um, we were both we were both high on heroin, and she wanted me to put it up her butt. <laughs> So I put, she starts, she starts riding me like, and, I, and I'm in her butt and all of a sudden I start smelling shit. Yes. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm covered in shit and she got all embarrassed and ran to the bathroom, got in the shower. She's crying. And I'm like, Oh, I, I, I think I love this girl. So I just go, I, I just run in the bathroom. <laughs> so, I just, so I run in the bathroom and I'm just like, listen, look, it's okay. Don't, don't be embarrassed. You know, I got in the shower with her, you know, like, and, and then, and then we were together for a while after that. <laughs> Let me ask you some questions here. Okay. First of all, like I cannot, I just, if I haven't thanked you enough, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Because yeah. this is like just my, my, the best. Number one, so thank you. Okay. Yeah. Now, number two, I I had I didn't have a lot of anal sex in my life. I had uh-huh. a little bit of anal sex. I would always yep. get nervous. It made me nervous. Yeah. The, t- the tenderness. It's like whatever. Yeah. Um, but what everyone would say, and I, as though I would act as though I knew about anal sex, was that the shit will come out, you know, and, and the shit didn't come out when I had anal sex. It was, it was, I was worried that I would tear her anus or whatever. Yeah. Now, how often have you had anal sex in your life? Quite a few, quite a few times. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe like 20, 30 times. Okay. Like, so maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe with, but with like 10 different girls, how often, is the shit coming out that it was, that was the only time one time, one of my, my one best time. friend, probably my, my, probably my best friend in the world when yeah. he was, he was 
he's not as good looking now as he was when we were kids. When we were kids, he was the best looking kid in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and he would, he wouldn't have sex with women in their vaginas. He would uh-huh. only fuck them in the ass. And I never asked him about the shit. Um, <laughs> but he was like the maestro. He needed to fuck everyone in the ass. But anyway, yeah. so, so when, 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 when this, when your ex fiance, how is she doing now, by the way, is she around? Um, she, she's around. Um, the the last time I saw her, so so we split up because we we went through some shit when we were when we were together up in Vermont. We went through a lot of shit together, like really bad, a lot of bad stuff, like a lot of deaths, a lot of a lot of police, a lot of um, me li- living in her parents' house and taking advantage of that, and um, and then we we split up. Well, I went to a rehab. She comes from money, so her parents sent her to a very expensive private place in New Hampshire, and I, I ended up going to a state-run place in Vermont. And she ended up uh, she ended up meeting some dude in the rehab that she went in that she went to. Mm. Yeah, and um, and then when I got out, I did thirty days in a spot. It was I think it was Brattleboro, Vermont. And um, the day I get out, you know, they give you your phone back, give you all your stuff back. And I'm in the parking lot. I turn my phone on and my phone's just blowing up. And I, I answer. They're like, yo, John overdosed. He's in critical condition up in, in uh, Burlington. So I fucking fly up to Burlington and um, I get to the hospital, get to the front desk. I'm like, I'm like, listen, I'm looking for John Randall. Uh, somebody just called me. He's in critical condition and they're looking through the computer and they're like, we, we don't have a John Randall here. And I'm like, no, 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 that's bullshit. He's here. And then they do a little bit more digging in the computer. And that's when she, she was like, I'm so sorry, but he just passed 10 minutes ago. So I, that kind of, after hearing about the girl and then this happening, me being 10 minutes too late, it just, it, it, threw me off the deep end and I went and I, I bought a bunch of heroin, went back to the um, parking lot of the hospital and I overdosed in the parking lot in the car and a stranger just happened to walk by and just by the grace of God had fucking Narcan on him and Narcan found, saw me with the needle still in my arm and Narcan me. How old were you at that point? I want to say I was 25. And that's how old John was when he died? Uh, I, I think he he, if he, he might've been 25. Yep. 25 or 26. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry to hear about him dying. It's Thank like, you. uh, Thank you. It's, it, and, and that's the, that, that's the kind of thing. And, and even to this day, and I know it's, I, I shouldn't be thinking this way, but I, I kind of have, um, what they call a, a survivor's guilt because mm. I, I have over 15 overdoses on my belt and a, a few of them where I, like had a tube down my throat EMTs over me while I'm waking up and I have done a lot of bad things in my past a lot of bad things Randall John John was the sweetest kid wouldn't hurt a fucking fly and he had one overdose that took him out yeah but it's like you can't look at it like that I I know I I mean you just can't you can't I mean it, it sucks I mean, it's like, um, like Chris probably overdosed a million times and he didn't think he could die and he died. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and before Chris died, uh, my, one of my best friends who I used with, like you used with John, my friend Todd, 
he died six weeks before Chris died, and he probably never overdosed before. He wasn't the sweetest guy in the world, and he was, certainly wasn't the smartest guy in the world. He was no yeah. John Randall, but I loved yeah. this guy. I loved him yeah. to death. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's weird. You know, there's no way to really talk about it and, and really make sense of this thing that we do to get out of our heads, to yeah. feel better, whatever. It, it's also deadly. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a hard duality. It's very hard to make sense of, of that kind of thing. You know, Absolutely. so like we, especially when we're telling stories about shooting LSD and our ex-fiance <laughs> shitting on us, it's like, yeah. that's the fun part. And then, and yeah. then right around the corner is this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and I appreciate, you know, I had a million other questions about the, the anal sex and the shitting, but I appreciate <laughs> the, the point is more important that, that we can have fun and, and, like I used to, me and Chris, when we were doing the show, I used to say, we laugh, the survivors laugh, mm-hmm. right? That's what I we like would, that. that's what I would say. But then yeah. he died and like, I don't have survivor's guilt. I have sadness. You know what I mean? I have sadness, yeah. sadness? and I have um, like the show changed. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the show changed. I couldn't just like, I mean, you came along, thank God. Like, we were in trouble <laughs> until you showed up. <laughs> the, show, the show wasn't like, I mean, I think after Todd died, like, Chris would tell me, we get emails from people and we get fucked up emails and Chris, Chris was using and, yeah. I couldn't, and I couldn't laugh about him because Todd had just died. And like, yeah. and Chris died like a minute later and the show was forever changed, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to hear more about what happened to you. Um you guys were so full throttle, you know what I mean? When, so you're getting, full throttle. when you're getting, you know, the Silk Road drugs and like John would yeah. have been like a billionaire off of Bitcoin by now, right? When right. he when he passed, he had nine Bitcoins in his wallet. Wow. Yeah. So what happened to them? I don't know. I don't know. You know, some dopey fucking dopey fan gave me and Chris 200 bucks in Bitcoin, uh, you wow. know, in, 20, in 2016 or something. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know what happened to it. It's gone. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's nine Bitcoins. I think it, it's yeah. worth, it's worth something, but yeah. Um, so like you guys are full throttle. Um, yeah. and does like, you don't have a big arrest in your story though, right? There isn't some major bust. There isn't years of prison. Time. So back in Connecticut, my, my house did get raided a few times, um, just from people, uh, ratting on me or, um, pretty much just people ratting on me. Uh, like people would get arrested and they would say, Oh, I got it from him. And his house is the, is the, where they manufacture it, you know, all this crazy shit. Um, so my house, I, I do have some, some felony arrests on my, on my record. Um, but the, the biggest, I, I was in, I was involved and this was up in, in Burlington before John passed when, when I met that my ex fiance and I started living with her, we were tired of, of, of spending fucking $200 for every time we wanted to buy a bundle, you know? And so a a very good quality that I think I have is networking and building relationships. And so I, I became really good friends with the, uh, with the deal, with the dealers in, in Burlington. And what they were doing is they were running for this huge gang out of, and they were, they were bringing a, um, a mule back and forth from a few days. Right. And eventually I became that person to where I was picking up a mule from every four days. 
and this guy would have $250,000 worth of heroin in his backpack, maybe, maybe $50,000 worth of bagged up crack and a little bit of powder Coke. And he would have his gun. And I, and I was doing this every four days. I never met, I, I, I would have all these burner phones and I would be talking to the, the two bosses. Don't know them by their first name. They went by, one went by, the other went by. And I became very personal with these two guys, you know? And I eventually became just the driver, picking, go, driving six hours, picking them up, bringing them back to Burlington, to eventually being um, the one who was running around town, making, making sales. And then I became both. And I was doing this every three or four days, and I'm talking millions of dollars that I was bringing back and forth to these fucking dudes and and one and it got to a point where we were making so much fucking money that the local drug dealers in Burlington started to get mad because they couldn't touch our prices. So one morning I'm I'm asleep on the couch and I hear a glass break. And I thought it was just one of our roommates arguing with his girlfriend. So I didn't think anything of it and then all of a sudden I see the the curtain pull and they're like get down on the ground or I'm going to shoot your ass. So it's six, it's six local dealers from Burlington with guns. They tie me up with Ziplocs and put a bag over my head. And we had a house where that we would sell out of, the trap house, and we would have a safe house where the dude would stay. And they knew what time the guy would come in the morning with a backpack. So they tied us all up, and they had us wait in this room while we were waiting for the guy with the backpack to show up. And <laughs> this is the craziest fucking part. I'm tied up. I'm zip tied. I have a bag over my head. I'm starting to get dope sick because I didn't get right yet that morning. And I'm starting to fucking shake. I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to fucking dry heave. And the dude looks over at me. He's like, what's wrong, white boy? I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not feeling good, man. I need to get right. He, go, he cuts my zip ties, takes the bag off my head, pulls two bags out of his pocket. He's like, here you go. Let's me get right and then ties me back up. Wow. He's a gentleman. I looked at him. I was like, I was like, you know what, man? You might be the nicest Jack boy I've ever met. You know, like, That's right. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever yeah. talk to what happened then? So that did, what, no, so, what happened? so, so the, the guy with the backpack came, they beat the shit out of him, took the backpack, robbed our house. They probably got like 60 grand in cash, 60 grand in heroin, um, a bunch of electronics and, uh, and never saw him again. So I call up the bosses, told them what happened. They're like, they're like, all right, I'll call you back in a few minutes. Three hours later, they're like, okay, we got another house for you. Sent us to another house that nobody knew about. These dudes were so well-connected and had so much fucking money that they had another house in three hours for us to sell heroin out of. And they knew you were, you were trustable. Yeah. Yep. Like they knew yep. that it wasn't your play. Yep, yep. And then we continued, we continued this for nine months. And then the very last time I made the trip down, pick the guy up. Granted, when I, they told me to come down, when I got there, they're like, we're not ready yet. They put me up in this fucking hotel on this shitbag hotel. They had me there for three days. Every morning they're like, oh, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. So I'm waiting there for three days. But I have, I have no fucking money. I have no dope. And I'm like, listen, guys, I can't fucking stay here. I, I'm going to be dope sick. 
Every day they had somebody come to my room, give me, uh, grab me a couple other local heroin dealer guys' bags and like 50 bucks cash to go eat for the day. And they had me set, they had me sit up in that hotel for three or four days. And then they were finally ready. We drive up back to Burlington. I'm out making, I'm out making runs. I get a call from one of my, uh, on the burner phones, feds, DA, everything are at all the houses. Don't come back. I threw out all my burner phones out the windows. I had maybe $1,500 cash on me, maybe three grand worth of heroin, a couple bags of crack and everything I owned, my, my, my computers, all my clothes, everything was at this house. Didn't look back. Fucking, I, I, I ran and I slept in my my 98 Ford Escort for like three months after that, all around Vermont. <laughs> did you try selling the dope or did you just live on it? Oh, fuck no. It. I lived on it. No way would I want to sell that because I didn't know what was going to happen. So, I mean, in the beginning of this conversation, this magical conversation, <laughs> you, you started talking about being a homeless heroin addict who lived in a porta potty. Like, yeah. Was this the beginning of that? That was the beginning of that. So I, I was, I was living in my, and, and when I say living in my 98 Ford Escort, I was in the trunk, sleeping in the oh. trunk. Imagine my fat ass sleeping in a tiny 98 Ford Escort, right? And then my dude, was- you, your whole thing. It's like, it's like, it's so out there. And I didn't even mention to the dopey nation, like who you are or what you do yeah. or your thing. Yeah. And I feel badly about that. They'll get to it. We'll, we'll get yeah. to it eventually. But like, dude, it's like, it's all fucking really next level stuff. You didn't do yeah. anything in a normal way. You know, no. you're sleeping in the trunk. So the trunk is closed when you're living. The trunk, the trunk is closed. And Can it was just, doors? can you get it, it, out through the doors? Yeah. No. So I, I the, the, the doors worked. the front four doors worked. But in Vermont, it's illegal to be fucking either sleeping on the street or sleeping in your car, you know? So I had, I had nowhere else to go. So I would make sure that I would sleep in the trunk. So nobody saw me inside my trunk. How did you get out of it? They had, it has the, in, inside every trunk, there's the, the emergency, uh, uh, I've never slept in a trunk, so I don't know. Yeah. So they, they have this like a, a emergency pull handle in case somebody gets locked in somehow, you know? In that period, were you alone? Yeah. Uh, at, at that time, um, me and that girl, we stopped seeing each other. Randall had died. Um, I just, I was alone and I didn't know what to do. And, and I, I really thought I was either going to die or end up in prison. So I was just like going out guns blazing, you know? And um, I was, and the tire of my Ford Escort popped and I didn't have the money to fix it. So I was parked, my, my car was parked in front of a house that their Wi-Fi wasn't locked. And I still had my, 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 uh, my smartphone. So I, I made sure that I was still able to fucking watch Netflix, my mom's Netflix account, while getting high in the right. trunk of my, uh, of my Ford Escort. But living on that three grand of, of yeah, dope yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Yep, did they have, yep. was there Wi-Fi fire Wi-Fi or just standard sort of Wi-Fi? It was just standard, it was just standard okay. Wi-Fi. <laughs> it was like my dad, it was like my dad's <laughs> Wi-Fi. It yeah, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't fire Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, fuck man. And like, that must be where like, it, it's like, we can tell the story and it's an amazing story, but, uh, and laugh about it, but that must've been a very scary time. It was, it was very, it was very scary. And, and, and at this point, Tom, my, my manager, he, 
he 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 did some really fucked up shit in Connecticut where he ended up doing five years in federal prison. So at this at this time he was locked up. Randall had passed. I'm on the streets, and so it's like out of out of the three of us, like I'm the only one that's still free, but I'm not living. You know, I'm surviving. And um and and Tom didn't know the extent of what was going on because when Tom got locked up like I was so fucked up that I wasn't writing. I wasn't, you know, um, he, he didn't know where to call, you know, like we, we didn't talk much. And, uh, and then when his, when Randall passed, his parents went in and he saw the look on their faces and he, he thought that they were going to say that I died. Everybody, if you were to talk to anybody in our hometown, you, they would give you the answer. Yeah. We thought Vinny was going to be the one that was going to die first. Right. Right. And I can't, right. Right. Not to feel guilty, but you, you just, you have to, I mean, that's something I hope you're working on. I, I am. You know working what I mean? on like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's very hard because I, I did not have a very good reputation in town. Everybody knew me as the local drug dealer and I was a bad influence. So Randall's parents, even to this day, they're not too happy with me. And they, a, a lot of parents aren't very happy with me. And, I, and, to, and when I left Connecticut to go to L.A., people didn't hear from me for years. And then all of a sudden they're seeing me online. Like on the East Coast, I, I went by Joseph my whole life because my, my middle name is Joseph. When my, my, my father's name was Joe, when he passed, everybody started calling me by my middle name, Joseph. So my whole life I went by the name Joe. I go to LA. I was like, fuck, if I, if I, I have to change everything about me, if I'm going to do this sober thing. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go by Vinny, my, my actual legal first name. And so if you think about it, all these people that I grew up with, they, they don't hear from me. They don't see me for years. All of them thought I have died. Right. Next thing you know, they're fucking seeing me online. You're this internet sensation killing yourself. Yeah. Fucking skateboard man. Yeah, exactly. They're seeing me work with my idols, you know, like growing up jackass and especially bam were it for me. It was all I wanted to do. I had, I had all their pictures on my walls. I bam skateboards on my walls, even down to the same tattoos as, as him, you know? So all of a sudden nobody's seen me. He talked to me for years and all of a sudden they're seeing me in videos with bam. Well, let me ask you when you were doing all this stuff and you were, I mean, you were using at a clip that is pretty, you know, you can't really, you can't really compare it with anybody. You know, that level yeah. of, of using is just, you know, it's, it's the highest level of using. Um, yeah. Like I, I certainly can't, I mean, I used a lot of dope, you know what I mean? Like my hat, when my, the worst my habit ever was, was like I'd shoot 30 bags a day and that was a fucking lot of dope, but that's yeah. not like, fucking injecting liquid LSD and, and getting the Silk Road shit and getting $25 yeah. bundles. It's not the yeah. same thing now, but, but drug addiction is the same thing. You know, the exactly. misery is the same thing. If you do a bag yep. or you do the whatever, but mm-hmm. the, the question is like your story is so fucking rich, but there was no Bam Margera jackass skateboarding. There was drug dealing and drug taking and touring and, five dollar yeah. fatties and everything like yeah. w- was there were you skating were you doing stunts or was it just something no. that you loved when you were a kid in the back of your yeah. head so, no so when i was i was 
12, maybe 13 years old when Jackass and Bam and CKY, Big Brother, you know, all that shit really hit mainstream. And I fell in love. And skateboarding was the main hub of it. I loved skateboarding. Me and all my friends skated. My friends were the one that progressed more than I, because I was always big growing up. I was always a big dude. My friends progressed in skateboarding way quicker than I could ever. Um, but I still loved the sport so much that I just wanted to be involved somehow. So that's how I picked up a video camera and I started, and I started filming all my friends skateboarding and then Jackass and CKY hit and we were pretending that we were them, you know, jumping off into bushes, you know, and shopping carts into bushes, you know, just just doing fun stuff, fun, stupid stuff with your friends and recording it for your own pleasure, you know? And it was a dream of mine always ever since ever since I first laid eyes on the Jackass logo to either work with these guys or have our own show or to travel the world and just hang out with the bros. It's always been a dream of mine. And then when I started when I started smoking weed, it was I still loved it, still wanted to do it, but the smoking of the weed and the drinking and partying that got in the way, really. But I still loved it. When the opiates came in the picture, any passion that I had for anything on this earth just went away. It was replaced with passion for opiates and drugs. Yeah. 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 I was passionate yeah. about opiates. I can tell. Know? Yeah. And all, all that stuff that I told you that I sold, all the camera equipment, all of my computers, you know, everything was just one by one just sold. And then it got to the point where I was mid-20s. And I was like, okay, this is never like that dream, that passion of mine's never going to fucking happen anyway. So why the fuck even have it in my head? You know? So it got to the point where I didn't even like, I threw out all my skate videos, my DVDs. I threw out all my CKY VHSs. I threw out all my band uh, memorabilia throughout all my skate decks that I had on my wall, you know? And I just didn't, it was just out of my life the way that it came into my life is when I went to LA, I was going from treatment center to treatment center, getting either kicked out or leaving, getting high in it, you know, and, and my main thing was uh, I would convince other clients to leave with me to get loaded with me. Misery loves company, you know, and you're a social dude, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's much less fun to be in a foreign state and, and leave a treatment by yourself than yeah. to do it with someone else and have the, the laugh and the adventure. And Absolutely. It's much less Absolutely. money. You know, yeah. I get it. So I'm going from treatment center to treatment center. And at this point, I, I still had no, I had, I had no want of getting sober. I still, I still loved getting high. I, I didn't want to get sober at all. I was just taking advantage of the health insurance my mom was paying for me monthly just going into these programs, eating food for a few days, sleeping on a bed for a few days, and then just going right back, you know? And uh, this, the last sober living that I got kicked out of, me, I, I convinced two, two guys to leave with me. So we're, we're out front of the sober living, waiting for the Uber to come. The management comes out, find out what we're doing. They convinced the two guys to stay. And then they were like, okay, Vinny, uh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, well, if they're going to stay, I'll stay. She goes, nope, you're out of here, <laughs> and kicked me out. 
So, of course, I'm going to be like, all right, fine, fuck that. I have my own money. I'll get high on my own. And so I'm, I'm sitting on the front step waiting for my Uber, and this was the very first spiritual experience I had in my life. It sounded like Randall whispered in my ear, saying, enough is enough. You're 30 years old. Enough is enough. And it was a very vivid, loud whisper. And it sounded like fucking Randall. And I called up the program director. I was like, listen, man, give me one more shot. He put me into another house. I walk in there, and that's where I see Zachass. And I already knew who he was. I, I knew what he was into. I was a fan. And at the time, he needed a filmer. And he, he actually, the first thing he says to me was, I, I had a, um, a hardogram, you know, Bam's little sign that he has, that he reps, you know, the, the him logo. I had, I had that tattooed that I, I recently got covered right here. And he's like, oh, you, you have the hardogram tattoo. And I was, like, I was like, yeah. He goes, okay, me and you are going to be friends. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, okay, rad. And then he needed a filmer. I told him that I had experience growing up filming skateboarding. And um, he invited me to come film a video with him. And the first thing that I filmed for him was we, we went to Venice Beach and we attached a boxing glove to a, a, a gas-powered RC car. And he laid down spread eagle on the ground and we drove it into his nuts at full speed. And I'm just like, okay, I love this. This is amazing. Okay, let's, this is fun, you know, like not knowing what's going to come out of it. He saw that I knew what I was doing. I, 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 I had, he saw that I had experience with the camera. He, he understood that I, know, I, I was very educated about the culture, about skateboarding and the jackass culture and what he does. So he's like, all right, dude, welcome to the crew. Was it's like, okay, so sick. crazy. Yeah. It's, 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 continue. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. So keep going. Yeah. And, 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 I, and at this point, you know, I'm still on the fence of being sober. Right. I'm st- right. like, even though I had that spiritual experience, I'm still on the fence. My, I'm not having cravings, but I still had that, um, that reservation of a little bit down the line, I'm probably going to get loaded, you know? And, but after that first video, he, he, he edited it, put it online and it's getting, it blew up. It's getting, comments and likes and shares by people who I've looked up to my whole life. Tony Hawk, uh, all, all these fucking legends are seeing something, a piece of art that my name is attached to. So I, I'm, my mind is exploding. I'm like, Holy fuck. When I, and this was a month after I had that spiritual experience. It didn't, it was like quick, right? I'm, and I'm starting to think, Holy fuck. After I had that experience, what sounded like my best friend whispering in my ear, enough is enough. What I've been dreaming about my whole fucking life fell on my lap. And then it, it snowballed. It was like a snowball effect. For, I'm just filming for him. And then I meet the, the whole crew, the Too Stupid to Die crew. They had, a TV, they had a show on MTV at that, at that point. So I'm their personal filmer. You know, we're traveling the country filming. And then more opportunities. We, we're, we're doing live stunts on, on stage in front of 8,000 people opening for Wu-Tang in Chicago. Oh and, my and, God. And, and, I'm, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? And this is and all in the last three years where you're talking this, about? Yes. This, all that from filming the first video with Zach to even just the Wu-Tang show was a matter of four months. Four months of, of sobriety, right? 
and I, and I, in my head, I'm just like, how the fuck is this happening right now? The funniest thing is like, it's like, imagine Bill Wilson in 1939 could, could predict that the spiritual experience in the 21st century involves fucking skateboarding videos, a, a yeah. gas powered RV car, a fucking boxing glove and yeah. nuts. Like, like that, yeah. that's like, but it is, it, it's like yeah. you had, you know, you had a spiritual awakening, but forget that you yeah. found a way that your childhood dream could be reborn in you sober. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like pretty yeah. fucking awesome. And like, you get to have a good time and be sober. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And you imagine an old timer, an old timer <laughs> seeing that as the spiritual experience. Yeah. Isn't it yeah. so funny? It's, it's so dude, it's amazing. And, 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 and remember this is all happening while we're clients of a sober living. Like I'm sleeping in a bunk bed, right. pissing in cups with a curfew, you know, and the, the, the house manager and the owner at the time was super cool. I love him to this day. He's a huge part of my, of my recovery. He was, uh, he was allowing us to travel the country and doing these, these, these things as long as we stayed sober and we were honest about everything. He was totally cool with it. You because know? you were, you were, you were realizing your life passion yeah. and, and like, yeah. what, cause there's no point in getting sober if you're going to have a bad time and you're not yep. going to do what you want. But that yep. leads me to a question that I think we skipped over big time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at a meeting the other day, you know, and someone was talking about growth, you know, and growth over time. And he was, at the same time, he was talking about decline and decline mm-hmm. over time. And he literally said this at the meeting. He said, I don't think anybody that gets homeless gets homeless overnight. There's a period when it happens. So you were homeless. You know, you, so yeah. how did it happen? So after Vermont, I, I made car, my way back. Right? I'm in my car. How did the trunk of the car end? It. it so I, I went out, and and the way that I, <laughs> the way that I was staying well, I wasn't even getting high. I was just staying well at this point. I would I would I would leave my car, and I, there was this organic food store in in Vermont in Vermont uh, Burlington, and it had poppy uh, Tasmanian. Uh, poppy seeds by the bulk you could buy. So I would go in there and I would steal five pounds of poppy seeds at a time. And this is something that Randall taught me. If you get a, a, a shit ton of poppy seeds, like really high grade poppy seeds, you get a couple bottles of grapefruit juice. You, you put the poppy seeds in the grapefruit juice and you shake, you shake it for a good hour. You open the cap, you could see all the opium and the, it's like a layer of oh my God. above uh, the grapefruit juice and you, you could drink it and you get fucked up. Like if you have no tolerance, you get fucked up. But if you're a junkie like me, you, you, you just you stay, stay well. well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. And then eventually I, I, the, the last time I did that, I went out and stole some poppy seeds. I go back to my car. My car is gone. <laughs> they, they towed it. <laughs> so now I have no car. And then I, so then I finally called my mom. I was like, listen, mom, please, can I come back home? If, if I clean my shit up, she's like, yeah, if, if you, but if you get loaded, I'm kicking you out. So I went home, slept on the couch, continued to get loaded. Did you go and home I mean, with the, with the bag of poppy seeds? What'd you do oh, with yeah. the bag of, yeah. you're like, oh, oh, oh. Going home, you got a jug of grapefruit juice and oh, the fucking yeah. Oh, yeah. bag of poppy seeds. Poppy yeah. Because I, I would have to take the train home. My mom ordered a train ticket for me. And, um, so I made sure that I was, it's like a five hour train ride. 
So I, I made sure that I was stocked up for the ride. You know? You're like brewing, <laughs> brewing, brewing poppy juice yeah. on the ride home. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And then, um, she, anyway, she, gone, she, she got me on the methadone program and I was on the, I was on 90 milligrams, uh, 90 milligrams of methadone for about two years, mm-hmm. but I was still getting loaded the whole time. And, and it just so happened, like when I started doing the methadone, I started smoking more crack. <laughs> I started smoking a lot more crack and, um, and, and my mom just couldn't have me anymore. So I, I started couch surfing again and eventually it's like, you know how it is, you know, even if it's your fucking best friend, if, if he's sleeping on the couch and he's getting loaded, you can't like, you don't want to be around that, you know? They're so not like your I was, friend anymore. They're gone. Yeah. They're just drug yeah, addicts. Exactly. So I, I was just taking advantage of all these people and nobody wanted me anymore. So that's when I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. So I, I found, uh, uh, I found a handicapped size porta potty in East Haven, Connecticut. It was like a couple blocks away from my grandparents' house, and um, it was kind of in the in, in the background where it was like at a soccer field that nobody ever came to, um, nobody ever used it, and it was just big enough for me to make my own uh, my own bed on the on the floor of it, and I slept in that thing for a long fucking time. How long? long. Almost two years. Shut the fuck up. So yeah, the, where was the place you slept before the porta potty? Um, I so before right before the porta potty, it would be I, I would couch surf going from one junkie. So what was friend like to the last room. the last bed or the last couch? The last like, the, the last. It, so it was it was my friend's couch, but we, he was getting high too. You know, like I would throw him a couple bags to let me sleep, you know, throw him a couple bags to let me use a shower. Um, and the way that I was getting loaded this whole time, like I didn't have a job. Like I, the way that I was getting loaded is I, I was either robbing people or I would in Connecticut. They have or even even in New York and Jersey, they have things called bodegas, you know, and I'm familiar with them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the bodegas in Connecticut, <laughs> what they do is they if you have energy drinks preferably monster or red bull they would buy them off you for a dollar a dollar a can so what i would do is i would go in the stop and shops the big y's all these grocery stores and i would just fill my i would just fill the carriage up the shopping cart up 12 packs 10 10 and 12 packs up to the brim and i would just walk out right. like, like i own the, the the place you know and i would go right to the bodega sell them for a dollar a can i'd make maybe 150 bucks with, with one shop and, 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 and the bodega was a one-stop shop. I'd get my needle there. I'd get my, my crack pipe, the, 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 the chore boy. And then right around the corner is I'm, I'm getting the drugs, you know? And then that was the hustle for a couple years. But looking at that porta potty, yeah. having drugs and being like, I think I'm going to live here. Like, yeah. holy, that's a leap. Is that not a leap? Like, that's yeah. like, a, that's a crazy, I, I mean, like in my life, like I make the joke all the time that I don't know if I could have been on heroin if I didn't have cable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, like I cannot, I never would have been able to make that move. Like yeah. what was going on in your head when you made that move? Um, it was, I mean, it, it, it's, I, I honestly, I didn't give a fuck as long as I had enough dope for that day and a, and a, and a decent needle that would still go in my arm. I didn't give a fuck where I was living. I didn't care where I was sleeping. I didn't care who wanted me around. I didn't, I didn't give a fuck. I all, all I cared about was the next high. And, and you know how it is. Like you're always looking for, like I get, I like touching the line of death. 
when I'm getting high. I, I'm looking for that high where I'm, in, I'm a, a millimeter away from dying. Right. So I'm, I'm always searching for that fucking next, sh- that, that next needle, you know? And it, 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 it was to the point where I, like I said earlier, that I, I accepted it. I accepted that I was going to live the rest of my life a, a lonely drug addict, and I was going to die a lonely drug addict. And the, the sick part about it was I was okay with it. I was totally cool. And it just, it, I, it, I, and then I, I would continue robbing stores for monsters and red bulls. And I, I ended up getting caught. I did, I did a few months in Hartford. And after that, you know, when, after you fucking do jail time, when you're walking out, going back home, you're like, Oh, I'm done. I'm not stealing anymore. I'm not doing anything. I'm done. The next day I'm, I'm going into a different stop and shop and doing the same thing. Did you go back to the porta potty and you're like, I'm ba- I'm home. Like, yeah, pretty much. Was yeah, yeah. And it was there? No, no, no. It's 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 funny because I, after a year of sobriety, I uh, I went ba- I went back home to visit my mom and I went back to the porter potty. I, I wanted to see it, and it wasn't there. <laughs> so they they took it. <laughs> yeah. And did you did you shit and piss in it? Yeah. Oh yeah. The whole time. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. Can you use porta potties now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't bother me. You're like, oh, this reminds me. me. This reminds me of something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this feels familiar somehow. Yeah. So you sleep it's, on the floor. Yeah, I would sleep on the floor. It was a handicap size one, so it was just big enough for me to like spread my legs out, you know. And um, it's it's I, like I could totally look back at it now and, and laugh, you know, and 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 it's it it tends to be a podcast favorite, you know. Whenever I tell this story, people love it. And and I used to when I was in the sober living in the bunk bed, I would be on the bottom bunk. I I cut out um, like I, I got a, a picture of a porta potty from the internet, and I printed it out and I posted it um, underneath the top bunk. So it was the first thing that I saw every every morning when I woke up. And just just remind me where I fucking came from. So it wasn't like posting your girlfriend up that you missed. It was more of, <laughs> to remind to remind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. man. Like, dude. Like, I can make fun of a lot of stuff, but like, yeah. that's really it's really crazy. You know it what is. I mean? It's it, like, it it's like, yeah. and when, and I've heard you talk about the insanity, but this yeah. is like it's actual total actual insanity. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, I've done insane stuff, and again, there's no sense in comparing. But that's <laughs> fucking crazy, 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 crazy business. Yeah, you know. And then, and then, so like, who gave you the ticket to get to LA? So, one of the dudes who ratted on me and had my and had my house raided, he called me when I was I was getting high in the porta potty, and he's like, "Hey, man, word on the street is that you're really struggling, and uh, you need help." And he had since went to California, got sober, and cleaned up his life and, and was doing good, as far as I knew. He called me. He's like, hey, man, I, I will buy you a plane ticket right now if you get on it tomorrow and come to L.A. and go to rehab. The first thing that comes to my mind is, fuck yeah, the weather is amazing in California. Easy as fuck to be homeless. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And I always wanted to go to California. And um, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And so I, I went out there and um, I went to the program that he sent me in. And, but I, I got kicked out right away for hooking up with a chick and getting high with her. And uh, 
but not knowing that there was this. so in Florida and California there's this thing called body bro- brokering it's so fucked up sure. and he, that's what he was doing he was getting paid and I didn't know this at the time he was getting paid to get me into treatment the, he, he was like um, getting referral money you know and, well, the and it, fucked up thing about it is that it's like like if it worked out it isn't fucked up you know what I mean like if he got you treatment and it's like and then he got paid it's a real win-win right but the the fucked up thing about it is and and i'm guilty of this as well when i when i found out about it because when i'm in the rehab everybody's like oh how much are you getting paid to come here for i'm like what what do you mean getting paid they're like yeah i'm getting paid two thousand dollars to be here i'm like what and then I'm putting two and two together. I'm like, oh, this motherfucker is making so much money off me, and he's not even like paying me. And of course, I'm like, this motherfucker is not paying me. What the fuck? So, so I'm an like, idiot. Oh. Yeah. 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 I'm so stupid. Yeah. 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 And, and that was another thing that I that I got into was I, I met another referral out in LA, and I, and he was paying me two thousand dollars every time I, I'd go to detox for two weeks. I'd come out. He'd give me two thousand dollars, and I'd just continue the cycle over and over again, and it would just be in and out, in and out, in and out. And every time I get $2,000 and then it became, and then it got to the point where I'm like, all right, no, I want more money. So I became the referral because wow. I, I think networking and meeting people. So I knew a lot of fucking drug addicts. So I was like, yo, listen, go to rehab. I'll pay you two, two grand. I'm making five grand. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a fucked up thing. It's really fucked up. I don't think that anybody has ever come on dopey and checked off every box. it's like it's like there isn't a box you didn't check even to the body brokering becoming a body broker the fucking shooting liquid lsd the shit i mean every it's pretty crazy you know so let me ask you this the most important question perhaps maybe maybe it's not the most important question but Uh maybe it's you didn't really go there to get well you got there because you're living in a fucking porta potty in the hills of connecticut and this guy's giving you a ticket when did it did it hit you? That spiritual awakening is when it hit you. When you heard Randall's voice, that was the beginning. Yep. And then you see Zachass, and yep. and then you found joy. That's how it yep. happened for you. That's how it happened for me. Yeah. And before before I before I had the spiritual experience, because I, I had been in from from the first treatment center I went into that he that the dude who ratted on me sent me to till the spirit uh, to the spiritual experience that I had. I probably was in a total of maybe 15 different treatment centers out there, but I, I wouldn't last more than two weeks, you know? Um, and, right. and eventually I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. So I, I was on skid row for a couple months. I lived on skid row. And, you lived in the street over there? Yeah. I lived on the street. Um, and, and one thing happened to me on skid row was I was so dope sick. couldn't find anything. Or I, it wasn't that I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find money. Eventually, I, I convinced my mom because that's what I do. I manipulate the shit out of my mother to send me money. Finally, she sends me money. It's like fucking eleven o'clock at night. I finally score at Skid Row, but everything's closed. I can't go in the bathroom. I, I can't find anywhere to shoot up. So I just said, "Fuck it." I sat down on the corner. Right, in, uh, it was a Seventh and San Julian sure. in Skid Row, and. Yes. Um, I, I, I tie up, I have the fucking tie around my arm, I'm setting up the needle. All of a sudden a cop drives by, puts his light on me and I'm like, Oh fuck. I threw everything behind me, but I still left the tie on my arm. <laughs> the tie was still on my arm. And he was just like, kid, what are you doing? And I, and I was honest with him. I was like, listen, I came out here to get sober. It's not working. And he goes, do you understand where you are? 
And I was like, yeah. He goes, no, 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 no. This corner, last night, some guy was stabbed to death. Two nights before that, some guy was shot on this corner. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know what to do. He goes, take your shit and get out of here. He didn't take my drugs, didn't take anything. He let me take my drugs and let me walk away. When that happened, I was like, okay, maybe Skid Row is not the place for me. <laughs> oh, so shit. then I... Yeah, so then I was like homeless on Venice Beach for a little bit and just like slept on the beaches for a while. And then, and then going back in, because my mom was still paying for my health insurance, you know, for the private health insurance. So, so you could I, go in whenever you really wanted to. Yeah, whenever I really wanted to, I'd go in. And that's when um, I finally went to that last spot and when I had that spiritual experience. It's incredible. And you've been working a 12-step program, that's what you do? Yep. 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 I, I, I've been, I've been slacking the, the past, the past like six months. Um, there are really no excuses. I mean, I can try to justify it every left right way possible, you know? Um, but I, I've been slacking a little bit. All right. What are you doing? How's the slacking um, going? I'm not hitting as many meetings as I should be. No sponsees. Uh, how many meetings are you hitting? I, I've, I've hit two meetings in the past, Four months. All right, it's not great. I mean, dopey yeah. counts as like fifteen meetings though in one shot. Yeah, I'm just kidding. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, with, uh, I mean, to my, to like, to be fair, I, I have been traveling the country, left, right, north, south, since December, but that's still no excuse. And I and I have hit some Zoom meetings here and there while I was doing that, and I did. How many uh, Zoom asked, meetings have you done? Uh, a couple, a few, a, a few, yeah, a, quite a few. Maybe, maybe, maybe ten Zoom meetings since December, and I and I spoke. Wow, I, I was the speaker for maybe three of them. Well, dude, don't beat yourself up. Like yeah. that's that's the the worst thing. The best thing yeah. is like, dude, you seem so good to me. I don't know your problems. You know what I mean? I just know you as a delightful sure. podcast guest and and, <laughs> and 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 guy who does crazy stunts on the internet. And your stunts yeah. are nuts. Um, crazy you know like and it's so fucking uh you know like because i didn't know your story you know what i mean like i didn't i didn't know i just figured you were some like skateboard legend who was a junkie and (laughs) fucked everything up but your whole your whole fame started in the past three years when you got clean yeah i didn't have i didn't have an instagram i didn't have twitter i didn't have anything i had facebook but i had i had been off facebook for years and Every, everything started because of Zach and um, he's in and Texas I, I, with you now no no Zach's still in LA um, me and, me and uh, a couple of the other bros from Too Stupid they live with me and um, we're just doing the podcast right now until um, I go for this ranch so you do what they're, they're, they're here with me two of them are here with me now and, they're, and we're just doing this podcast in the meantime that we started until I find a ranch because I'm, I'm planning on buying a 10-acre ranch within the next few months to um, try to film our own show on and just say, fuck it, and pitch it to Netflix ourselves. That sounds good. And you'll bring Zach ass in or no? Oh, no. totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, Zach, was, so you're- Zach had to stay in L.A. because um, I, I think I could talk about this now. Um, he's in Jackass 4. Nice. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a huge player in Jackass 4 now. So he, uh, why did you just go ahead? Why'd you cover up the bam tattoo? 
Um, I, I got another one right here. <laughs> I got I got the same thing right here, but uh, it's it was just it, I got that when I was 15 years old, and it was just done really bad. And I got a good one right here on my neck, but it's it's weird because I have one right here on my arm. This one right here that I got when I was 15. He has the same thing in the same spot, just a lot bigger. Because when I was that young, I never in my life thought that I'd be like hanging out with him at his house, you know. So it's like now when I'm like with him, I'm like, oh, I don't really want you to know I'm a fanboy, you know. Like, <laughs> what is he? What? How does he respond to it? I don't even think he's seen the tattoos yet. <laughs> he came on Dopey one time, but he didn't really know he was on Dopey. Novak yeah. was recording a video bit. For we we do a dopey convention called DopeyCon, and we did DopeyCon too. And Novak was with Bam, and he had yep. Bam in the video clip, but Bam didn't know he was on it. Like Novak, yeah. I'm gonna have Novak's been on like three times or something. Novak came on like when Chris was alive. We just found a number to call, and he came on, and then he came on yeah. after Chris died, and then he came on because I read his book and I wanted to talk about it. And he's yeah. you know I love him. He's a he's a very generous, cool guy. Absolutely. How. Uh, I always want to ask everybody how Bam's doing because it's always like such an up and down thing. But that's not we don't need to go into that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I put you yeah, um, yeah. I won't get into it too much, but um, he's struggling. That's all I could really say. He's struggling. Yeah. Well, you should as long as like, dude. It's like you can be like some kind of raft in the, in the river that he could swim over to and grab hold of, and like that's that's the thing. Uh, when all these guys meet you and you know everything about them and your story uh-huh. is so insane, do, do, do they know your story? Um, some of uh, Steve-O knows my story. Um, I'm not really out of, out of all the guys. It's pretty much just like I've, I've worked with Dave England. Um, I've, I've hung out with Bam and filmed with him a, a bunch and Steve-O uh, I'm close with him. The rest Steve of the guys, I don't really know. Steve-O refuses to come on dope. Refuses. Refuses. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Continue. Yeah. Um, all, the, all the rest of the guys, I don't really know personal like that. Um, I've, met, I've met all of them. Um, I was on set with when Zach, when they first started filming for Jackass 4, right before COVID hit, um, I went to set with, with Zach and I got the, to experience that. And like a couple of them already knew who I was just because I had the podcast with Andy and videos with Zach and sure. stuff. So they, they already knew who I was, which was fucking mind blowing to me. So cool. And, uh, yeah. And, um, and they were all super cool dudes, you know? Um, but the ones that I'm like really close to are Bam and Steve. Well, I think that's amazing. I think you should, I think you should try to be a mis- a dopey missionary to Steve-O for us. Um, it, it, you know, one day just slip it in. I was on this incredible podcast. So great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, dude, like, I can't thank you enough. Like we're not going to, of course, how long is this run for? Cause I can't, I'm, I've never done a podcast like this without being able to see the time. An hour and 49 minutes. That's not that bad. Shit. No. What time, what time is it? Um, it is four o'clock my time. So five o'clock your time. Fuck. Let me see. Am I gonna make my train? I'm not gonna make my dad just I'm not gonna make my wife is gonna be my wife is gonna be hold on. Hold on. I live in the I live in the two kids. Um and I work at a deli and I deli and this podcast that's just about everything you can tell about me to know about me. But um but um I'm gonna read Adobe. I'm gonna read Adobe. Did I send you the emails? Did I send you the emails or not? No, I don't think so. Fuck. Um, here, um, why don't you read? Here, why don't you send it to you right now? Send it to you right now. Okay, okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yep. yep.
Hold on. Hold on. You want me to text it to you? Me to text email. it to you or email it to you? Um, you can text it to me. All right. I got a short one and a long one. Really long one. Really long one or the short one. We, either one. We could do both if you want. All right. Cool. Let's do it. Hold on. Let's do it. Hold on. Yeah. Da, 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 da. This one's fucked this up. This one's I think fucked you up. Read this I think one. you should read this one. I'll do the big one first. Do the big one should first. I text it or email? Right. I text it or email it? Uh, email it? Yeah, no, yeah, go email. Yeah, yeah, email. Okay, hold on. Damn, Bitcoin is down. How much? What's your email? Uh, my email is V-I-N-I-M-P-666 at Gmail. Bitcoin's down 4% today. It's down to 34.5. Well... What do you what do you predict? I don't even fucking know, dude. I I put in five thousand dollars a couple months ago, and I'm kind How, of where was it then? Where was it then? Um, when I when I put in, it was at forty two. Yeah, I think most of what I think I bought mostly at like at forty two. Also, like some stupid yeah. move. Every I mean, you know, it's like. How are you knowing? Dude, in, you know in, in fucking when I was on when I was on that tour, uh, I was in Florida, and it was uh, this was in December, the end of December, and it was at thirty three. And I'm on the phone with with Tom, my manager. I'm like, all right, Russo, I'm gonna like let's fucking let me do this, let me do this. He goes, no, let's let's wait till you get home, you know. And then when I got home, it fucking jumped up to forty five. And right, right, like, right, right, right. You know, yeah, it's like you have to move swiftly. And then you yeah. have to get lucky, and then you have to get out of yep. it quickly. You know, it's like, and I think it's really all this stuff, it's, it becomes incredibly um, tricky for addicts to deal with cryptocurrency. You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. serious, I'm not even kidding. Like, yeah. I want to yeah. do a whole special about it. Like, because I know a bunch of people, a bunch of dopey nation people who are just like into Shiba and Doge and they're up one day and they've yeah. lost everything the next. And it's like, yeah. it's a whole thing. And I want to get rich. We all want to get rich. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? My dad, my dad says it's too volatile. Here, let's let's get. You want to get my dad's take on this really quickly? Yeah. This is this is Skinny Vinny. He's a he's a big time uh, Instagram. Are you bigger on YouTube or Instagram? Instagram, Instagram for okay, sure. Big time Instagrammer. Hold on. This is my dad. This is Alan. He's a longtime professor and 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 high school junior high school teacher. Here you go. Hi. Hello. What do you? Hey. What's what up, you Alan? About, um, Hi. Well, my my advice to everybody is: if you don't understand what you're investing in, you shouldn't invest. The other <laughs> advice, the, the other advice is: try to invest in things for long term. And uh, volatile yeah. is is a bad word. A good word is steady and a company with uh, good reports financially that's what i recommend the, the cryptocurrency sounds to me like i do not understand it and maybe it's the wave of the future but right now i think people are getting ripped off Vinny made his mark yeah. on the world by putting a, a, a boxing glove on a, a remote controlled car and running it into this guy's testicles <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Sound like a good idea at so, all. So volatile might be good for me. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe cryptocurrency is for you. <laughs> Thanks for the advice, man. <laughs> all right, all right. Good luck. That's my dad's very steady. He's very oh, yeah. steady. Uh, um, so you got? Did you get the email? Uh, let me check. Oh, yep, got it. All right here. Um, I'm gonna read it as I okay. put on my pants. Yep. 
Hey Dave, this addict right here sent you a funny story a couple weeks ago, but now I'm writing this to you. I don't know. Fucking decompress it from my heart. I don't expect you to share this one because it's not a funny drug story or anything even remotely worth anyone hearing. This is more just, I guess, therapeutic writing for me. So thanks for reading it if you do. It took me three days to fully write this stupid email anyway. I've always had a soft spot as an ER nurse for my addicts and alcoholics, being an alcoholic myself and the product of an alcoholic coke crack addict, but I... But I just pulled my first OD patient out of a car after being part of the Dopey Nation and falling in love with you and Chris, fucking RIP. And it was pretty standard as far as overdoses go. He got dumped at the front door by his friends, purple and barely breathing, barely had a pulse. We rushed him to the back. I'm bagging him, slam Narcan uh, internasally while we throw an IV into his neck so we can slam another into his vein and then wrestle for 10 minutes while this poor dude alternately screams, cries, shits, and vomits. Typical scene. So perspective-wise, my dad is the only person I have personally known who I'd ever seen overdose. When he was living with me on hospice due to alcohol-induced liver cancer, cirrhosis, he overdosed on Xanax, and I got him to the hospital and was fine. Well, I mean, well, I mean he died of cancer later, so not really fine, I guess. But anyway... I've been fortunate enough to I've been fortunate enough that no one I know personally has overdosed on heroin. But listening to Dopey, I feel like you and Chris are my homies now, so I felt I don't know more emotions this time during the uh uh the uh, res- I don't know that word. <laughs> but anyway, what is that? I missed it. Uh, okay, keep going. But anyway, back to this poor guy. One, I finally got him calmed down, and the Narcan-induced psychosis passed. He was so sweet and tender-hearted. He was a mess. He was not even thirty years old and covered in meth sores and track marks, missing tons of teeth. But you could just tell he had a kind heart and had been a fucked-up situation for a long time. He kept apologizing for overdosing. I pulled him aside and I was like, "Dude, please, no one apologizes. Uh, no one apologizes for having diabetes. You have a disease." Anyway, we talked, and this poor kid had been using heroin since high school and had never been formally to rehab i ended up talking to him for a while and he just fell apart he felt so trapped and my heart broke because resources in our area are so limited and shitty i don't know it just sucked because i feel like this poor kid isn't going to make it and there's nothing i could do for any of them there will be probably there will be probably hundreds of more people i will pull out of cars in my career and there isn't a goddamn thing i could do to help any of them long term because they can't change until they want to change and have and have the resources i've gotten i've gotten to episode 48 but after that patient for some reason i skipped forward to the episode right after chris died i feel like even though i always have known addiction is a disease and always have been compassionate to my overdose patients listening to dopey has increased my empathy tenfold because now it feels personal i will never never see these situations the same because i will always see a little bit of chris in them okay i guess that's enough rambling love the podcast it's my go-to on my hour-long commute toodles gb that's deep. And I yeah, thought yeah. it could, it could have been you that she found, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, I thought like it could have literally been you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like that story could have been about finding you and Narcanning you, you know? Um, yep. Yep. read the next one and, uh, yeah, read the next one. It's much shorter and sweeter. Uh, I have some crazy news. I left Matt my husband on three fourteen twenty one. I'm getting a divorce. I stopped smoking my medical weed recently today. I have 19 days of complete sobriety. My childhood friend got out of prison eight months ago. He served 18 years. I just celebrated 18 years with Matt on, t- on two twenty eight twenty one. Matt started drinking and I knew I had to run. 
I had not picked up alcohol since 626, 2016. Started smoking weed during COVID after I got fur, uh, furloughed on 32020. Smoked for a, uh, a full good year. I loved it. Somehow I fell in love with this year. Or no, some, some, uh, somehow I fell in love with this convict who's going to be on parole for the next 20 years, who, by the way, is my, uh, a registered sex offender, had, had sex with a 17-year-old when he was 20. The girl was scared of, uh, of her parents, said she was raped, and then tried to take back her story. But it was too late. He got, 13, he got 13 to 40 years, got out 18 years later. So what do you think of this dopey share? Anyhow, I hope all is well. Thanks for letting me share this. What do you think, <laughs> <laughs> that's so god dude that's uh that's something that i want no part of <laughs> well he's 20 the girl's 17 yeah, that's that's reasonable it, it is it is reasonable and uh that whole that whole conversation is is i can go on and on for that like this girl who i just recently fell in love with she's 20 and i'm 33 you know, there you go. Good for you. Enjoy you it while know. you can, man. These are these are the salad days, Vinny. These are- See, we don't talk. We, we don't talk anymore, and I and I'm literally sulking in my depression the last couple months. But <laughs> so why why aren't you talking? What happened? Um. Uh, so when I was on that tour from December to March, I, at first this, this is going to sound really fucked up. At first, I was naming it my STD tour. I was planning on yeah. I was planning on going to every state and hooking up with a girl in every state, and yeah. I made it. I left L.A., made it to Phoenix, hooked up with a girl in Phoenix, and then this girl was going to be my second in Texas. And we had been talking for a year before this on Facetime. Like she she slid through my DMs. We started talking. We started to like each other. And then when I when I found out I was leaving, I was like, Hey, I'm going to come meet you. You know, and um, so meeting her was planned but the feelings that I got for her were not. And, um, this was on Christmas week. I I was down here and had Christmas with her and her whole family. It was, it was an amazing thing. And I even, I even shared, I I even led a meeting in her mom's kitchen with her mom there, told my whole life fucking story. And I was terrified, fucking terrified to do this because i didn't it was really soon for her like her mom knew me like knew that i'm an addict and lived in a sober living for years worked in treatment she knew me but she didn't know to the extent of like the porter potty and everything else you know the I'm anal terrified. sex and the shit coming out love <laughs> yeah. In the shower. No. yeah so i so i was fucking terrified doing this in front of her and i did it and afterwards she was like she's like why why do you look like you're you're so scared right now. I was like, I was like, honestly, I was afraid to say all that in front of you just because like, I, I really like your daughter and I just didn't, it was really too soon, you know? And she goes, no dude, like I actually have more respect for you because you did that. And I don't judge anybody. And you aren't the person who that was all those years ago, you know, like you are you now and the things that you are doing now to help people are amazing, you know? And when she said that, I, I fell even deeper love with this girl because of her family. They didn't judge me. And, but she kept, this girl, t- even though we had sex a few times, she kept telling me that she wasn't ready for a relationship. So I was like, I'm in no rush. I'm still on tour. I don't even know where I'm going to be living. I have all this shit that I have to do. That's fine. But I would like to continue being like, like talking to you. She's like, yeah, of course. I finally make it back to Connecticut. 
I, have, I, I, I end up going to Travis Pastrana's house in Maryland. I go to Bam's castle, get a bunch of good footage. And, uh, she just, and, and we had this plan that I, I, I bought plane tickets. I was going to fly down there, pick her up. We were going to fly to LA, celebrate my three years sober in LA. And I was going to fly her back to Texas and then me fly back to Connecticut, bought the plane tickets. And then all of a sudden she starts getting cold feet. You're, you're always, you, know, you always have a camera rolling. You're always in the public eye. I'm very, I'm a very shy person. I, that scares me. And then she goes and starts saying stuff like, and, and it scares because she drinks. She's like, a, no, she's a normie, you know, she parties with her friends and she's like, and it scares me that like, because me and my friends drink that it might tempt you. And I'm like, listen, I have the work that I've put in the past three years, allow me to be around that shit. Like I, that shit doesn't bother me anymore. And then we just faded a little bit. I came, moved down here because I'm looking for a fucking ranch and I, I, we didn't talk on social media for a little bit. And then I go on snap. There? Is she in Texas? She's like an hour away. Did you move to Texas to get her back? Partly. Yeah. Partly. Yeah. Um, but I'm also looking for, uh, uh, for land and Texas is really cheap. And Joe Rogan did it. It worked for Joe Rogan. It could yeah. work for you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we didn't talk. We, we faded apart for a little bit. And then I found out she got, she got a boyfriend on Snapchat. Uh. So, so I fucking, um, I, 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 and I'm not, I'm usually not the person to do this, but I blocked her on everything. I blocked her and her friends on everything. And, uh, because I just couldn't stand to see her, you know, I, I had to like get her out of my brain. I think it's, I think it's a very sober move. You protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get it out. Still couldn't get her out of my fucking head. She's the last person I think of before I go to bed. The first person I think of when I wake up, um, and for months I, I can't stop thinking about her and obsessive thinking. Just, yeah. And just yesterday I, I wrote a fucking letter that I'm going to mail out to her tomorrow. <laughs> what does it say? You want me to read it? <laughs> yeah. Read it. Sure. sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> One second. Cat. <laughs> the first thing that probably comes to your mind when seeing this is why the fuck is this dude writing me a letter? What year is it? 1990. In all reality, there are so many reasons, but I don't have enough paper for that, so I'll just name two for now. <coughs> Years ago, my grandfather was telling me a story how him and my grandmother first met, and how he knew he fell in love with her the moment he laid his eyes on her. And in that story, he mentioned that a woman really appreciates a well-written letter. And I know it's not 1945 and the times have changed, and granted, I haven't written anything since high school and my handwriting is trash. A huge part of me likes to think that still might be true. <coughs> Another reason being is if you know me like I think you know me, you would know that I live my life with no regrets and I would be damned if I was laying on my deathbed with the biggest regret of them all. From December to March was a very strange and pivotal, pivotal time in my life with having everything packed in my car, traveling the country by myself and meeting amazing people on the way trying to figure out what was the next chapter of my insane life. Meeting you was planned, but the feelings I got were not. Never in my life, 33 years of being on this earth, did I feel the feeling that I got when you ripped my phone out of my hand and started holding my hand because I was nervous and shy? When that moment happened, I knew right away. When that moment happened, I knew right away. I now know, I now know and understand that feeling my grandfather was trying to explain to me all those years ago. It was like time froze. Every time I looked in your eyes, nothing else mattered. It was strange, beautiful, and terrifying all at the same time. It was so unexpected and new to me, I honestly didn't know how to handle it. Every day since then, I look back and think if there was anything I should have done differently or if there was something I did wrong. 
but things happen. But um, ever since I got sober, I'm a firm believer of everything happens for a reason. So I wouldn't change anything. As you would imagine, Russo and I have been having countless conversations about everything. And when he asked me what was it about her that made me feel this way, I simply answered her heart, her soul, her sense of humor, and her loving uh, family and friends. It was the easiest question I ever had to answer. The short amount of time I spent with you, and even shorter amount of time I spent with your family, I wouldn't trade it for anything. From the time I spoke at a meeting in your mom's kitchen and was terrified to tell my life story in front of her, or the time I drove seven hours to make sure I didn't look like a degenerate in front of your family on Christmas Day, or even the time your grandfather scared the shit out of me and asked me if I ever had a Mexican present before. Wouldn't trade it for anything. You have no idea how many times I've started writing this letter. Close to 20 times I would start, then crumple it, crumple it up and throw it in the trash. I just didn't know if it was appropriate or not. But if my father and grandfather were still alive, I, would, I know they would tell me to follow my heart. Moving to Texas and having the last few months to figure things out and work on myself mentally and physically was the best thing I could have ever done. I'm very happy where I am mentally and super proud to where I've gotten physically. The AA community has been great down here, very welcoming. I've been to a few meetings, and I also got a job down here at a rehab. Um, uh, and the biggest thing that I, and I didn't tell you this either, the biggest thing that I'm, uh, uh, I'm so proud of is that me and Tom are in the very beginning stages of opening up our own sober living in Los Angeles. And we're naming it Randall's house after John's, after John. Beautiful. Yeah. I, d- I don't expect anything to come from this letter. I don't expect a call, a text, or even a letter back. I just know that if I didn't tell you how I felt and how I still feel and get this off my chest, I would be on my deathbed with the biggest regret of my life. And that goes against everything I stand for. At the end of the day, I just want you to have a life full of laughter and happiness. And not a day goes by where I don't think of you and your family. I hope everything is well. I have no expectations in life in general. I, I have made plenty of mistakes, more than I can count, but the only ex- expectation I do have is to learn from my mistakes and grow from my experiences so I could be the best man I could be for my family and friends. I hope my shitty writing didn't make this difficult to read. <laughs> That's it. That's beautiful, man. You are, this, is a, this is a magical episode, man. Magical episode. <laughs> and I think you have balls to read it on the show. Thanks, man. Thank you. Uh, it's, it scares it scares the shit out of me because she's twenty years old. She turns twenty one in October. She's so young. Yeah, you know, I, I the feelings I got for this girl were so fucking unexpected. And, and thirty three years, dude. I'm thirty three years old. I've never had like even with that ex fiance, dude. I didn't. We were both sick and using and like I didn't like that. Right. It could have been real, but who fucking knows, dude? You know. But this is right. two sickies, you know, that whole thing about yeah. sick people and yeah. people. But listen, but what you said in the letter, I think the most important thing you said in the letter is to not, to not have expectations, to not yeah. be run based on how she responds to that letter, to know that yeah. she's 20. You know what I mean? And life goes on. And like, if it's meant to be, it will be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, they're, yeah. like, I'll tell you this before we go. I'm going to tell you this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I met my, my, we, me and my wife never got married or anything. So my partner, I just say my wife cause I don't like saying partner. Uh, yeah. we met when I, when right before, right after my mother died and, and she got pregnant right away. And then she caught me using, you know what I'm saying? She caught me using yep. Yep. and, uh, and left me. And then I, um, I fucked everything up and, uh, and I, and I was alone and using and using and using and using and, and, and uh, all I thought about was getting back with her. And, and then I lost 
all access to the kid and I got sober and all I thought about day and night was getting back with her. Like, and it ran my life. You know what I mean? Like if you ask any of my friends, it's the only thing I talked about, you know what I mean? Like, and it wasn't until I let go of it that she came back. You know what I mean? It it was, it was, it was finally finding okayness in my life without her that she came back. And I don't know if it's a similar kind of thing because you don't have a kid with this woman. And like, like Mm -hmm. I was, the whole thing was like very heavy. I think though in life, you know, like I think addicts tend to be obsessive. They tend to hold on to things they shouldn't and it can be counterproductive to people like us. So I think like you moving forward is, is you're going to have a good life. And if she realizes that she can have a good life with you, you know, more power to you. But if not, you're going to have a good life anyway. Yeah. And, and, and I know that, and I know I'm going to have a good life no matter what. Um, as, as long as I continue doing the next right thing, continue to being honest with myself and everybody else and continue being of service, I know that things are going to work out. Um, it's in sobriety, bro. It was, it was very, it was very new to me to have those feelings, you know? And I, I, it, it all, it all happened so fucking quick. And the funny part about it was before I left LA, when, when we were talking for that, for that year, like a couple of weeks before I left LA, I was like, listen, maybe this isn't such a great idea because you are in a completely different time in your life. I'm looking to, I'm looking for somebody to find, to be a part, to, to, to want to be a part of something special. I'm trying to build something special. I want, I want kids. I want the family. I want to build something very special. You are in a period of time where you're fucking fresh out of high school. You're, you're good. You got college, you got clubs, you got party, you got traveling, you know, like with your friends. And I don't want to be the person to take those experiences away from you because wow. I, yeah. fuck, I fucked yeah. that up in my life, you know? And she, and this is what she said to me. She goes, yeah, Vinny, you're right. Those are all, those are all um, great experiences, but they're just experiences. All I want in life is to be a good mother and a good wife. And when she said that, I was like, oh, fuck. God damn it. You're 20 years old and you're saying this already? Okay. You know, and so, but again, dude, I, I wasn't planning on, like, I, I was calling it my STD tour. <laughs> I was like, I, and I had, you weren't I had a girl. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't, you know, and I had a girl set up in every state, ready to go, you know. How and, many states? Uh, so th- there was, there was Phoenix. There was Texas, there was Oklahoma, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, Maryland, Philly, Jersey, New York, Connecticut. Amazing. Yeah. And I, and I had one set up. It, it was ready to go, you know? And I, and I was ready to film the whole thing, and I was ready to fucking make <laughs> good content, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, it just it didn't end up like that. It was like, when, when I met her, it was just, I was like, oh, okay, this is... It, 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 I, yeah, I was like, this is it, you know? Well, you're a beautiful romantic. Just give yourself a break. This is like, it can be a fast track to that crazy misery, obsessive thinking. And you don't want to do that. You know, yeah. even though you, no, you probably do, totally. it's, you know, it's so, cla- yeah. it's so familiar. It is so familiar. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you fucking go to a meeting, go to a fucking meeting. I know. Meeting. I know. Yeah. I, I, I finally found some meetings down here. I went to one uh, a couple weeks ago and, um, it, it, it is what it is. I, I mean, 
I, I hate comparing, but after being in LA for so long and hitting a lot of really good full meetings, you know, and, and then coming down here where it's like a small room with four people, it's right. It's different. It's different, but it's, it's all the same message. I do. I, dude, I miss LA so fucking much. And if it wasn't for what I, what I have envisioned in my head for what I'm trying to do with this ranch, I would have to have millions of dollars to be able to do it. But dude, maybe it's not, maybe it's not the time to do it. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's not the time, you know, maybe it's the time to like, you have three years, you're, you've got your two, the two guys from the crew, but like maybe, maybe you need the community right now more than you need the ranch. And you can, you can, it's like, you can make content. I mean, I make dopey, like I'm in my dad's house. Sure. It's not yeah. a ranch and it's not a fucking compound and whatever, but like, yeah. I can make a, a quality show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, you know, Absolutely. I mean, like, I just think, you know, see what you're, what you're sacrificing, but I gotta get out of here. My wife just fucking texted me. Yeah, She's going to yeah, kill yeah. me. <laughs> no, absolutely. Hey man, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was, I, I think you were a miraculous guest. A mir- <laughs> thank you so much for, for doing I, the show. I appreciate that. At the end of every episode, uh, Chris always said toodles. Okay. And I hated it when he said toodles. So I always, said, <laughs> I always said, I always said, stay strong, dopey nation. And then when he died, I would say, and fucking toodles for Chris. So if you want to give a little stay strong, dopey nation and toodles for Chris before we go, that would be amazing. Oh, wait, hey. wait, wait. hold on. Wait, wait, before we, before you yeah. do that, dopey nation, send in an email, uh, give Vinny some advice about, should he do the thing in Texas? Should he give up on the girl? Should he go back to LA? Send in a dopey story. Be in touch. Send in an email. I, I would Vinny love that. Podcast, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, whenever you want to come back on the show, you are more than welcome. So that's, so, that's amazing. Thank thing. you. Thank you so much. Fucking stay strong, dopey nation, and motherfucking toodles for Chris. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune.
sit through the uh, big inbox emails feel free to play a clip on the show if you want I, if not I know it kind of sucks alright I uh, really appreciate it thanks y'all